The Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. Yeah, guys, I watched some movies this year that really made me reevaluate my situation, and I am taking... Full responsibility. Hey everyone, it's another Goose Cannons podcast coming at you. For you, it's been a week. For us, it's been less than 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> the podcasting marathon doesn't stop. <laughs> it's that special time of year. <laughs> As I mentioned on multiple previous podcasts, this is our first of our best of 2017 podcast duology. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today we're going to be counting down our number 10 through 2 favorite movies of the year. And as with previous podcasts, we will be following the same format in that if someone mentions a movie and someone has it higher on their list, it gets tabled until it reaches its ultimate peak. Ooh. And at that point we will discuss it. One thing that's flipped from the previous podcast literally is we're gonna go in the reverse order Ooh. so we'll be starting with basil and ending with patrick and unless there's anything else that we have to do i think we're ready to go is that right yeah, yeah. Seems, seems accurate <laughs> that's good okay. tonight number 10 basil all right um i took a chance when uh Ooh. we did our uh honorable and dishonorable mentions because we recorded them uh kind of before the end of the year and uh i honorably <clears throat> mentioned lucky assuming that in the interim two weeks i would see a movie i liked better than it and i didn't so oh, that no. one is still my uh technically my <laughs> number 10 so i'm gonna go with my uh number nine movie which is uh downsizing by Alexander Payne. Woo! I mean, not number nine, but number eleven, rather, obviously. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my number. <laughs> but uh, just eliminating one yeah. of my movies. Yeah. So, Tearing through this. <laughs> yeah, I'm just skipping one, guys. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, downsizing is a movie that is smarter than me, and Whoa. I'm pretty cool with that. <laughs> like it's. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't happen that it's often. Like showgirls. Walks out of the movie. What? Just like uh, showgirls. Oh yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another smarter than me movie. But yeah, I walked out of the movie being like, I don't know if I like that movie. And then the more I talked about it and thought about it, I was like, oh wait, this movie's doing a lot of pretty cool, pretty neat stuff, and uh, the. Then it just grew in my estimation. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that uh, <laughs> I, I really like that uh, Haley and I talked about is uh, 
fairly early on in the movie um, when Matt Damon is about to get downsized. He's sitting in a waiting room and he sees a bunch of uh, inspirational posters. One of them's about, uh, you know, in order to get to the light, you must go through a dark tunnel. And oh. then he really, really embodies that, uh, that oh. inspirational quote because he's like kind of a big dope. He's, he's a middle-class guy who's like, oh, yeah, that's, that, uh, that's, that is what I need to do. So then uh, Alexander Payne does a pretty smart thing where there's uh, so two different um, tunnels that he goes through. One, mm -hmm. uh, he rides a bus uh, in t from the fancy living downsized place to the kind of impoverished trailer park downsized place. And then wait in the movie, he uh, thinks about walking down a very long tunnel to be part of the last bit of the human race potentially and uh he thinks that's the tunnel that's very important to him but at the last minute he sort of realizes oh wait i should be somewhere else and he goes back and i was like that's very smart uh like laying the groundwork and until Haley pointed out the because she actually went to the bathroom during the part with the bus or whatever so she just remembered the tunnel from the end and i was like oh wait there was another tunnel and together we put it together that I was in your pain. It's pretty cool. Yes, he is. <laughs> I put that together all by myself. Well, good for you. <laughs> I didn't put it together until just now. <laughs> oh, not the tunnels thing. Oh. Just Alexander Payne. Oh. Cool. I mean, I noticed that there were two tunnels. I didn't see the yeah, poster. Yeah, I missed that poster. <laughs> he is cool. He's gotten a lot of flack. I also like this movie. I know, this movie's been very unfairly maligned. I think yeah, it's, uh, it's so good. Very fun. I think this is a movie that will grow in people's estimation with time. Yeah. It'll be like, oh. I think some of it... I may... mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, I think some of it may have to do with the backlash against Matt Damon in general right now. Yeah, yeah. well, he's a big That's dope in it, so it's part fine. Of it. <laughs> um, and I think a part of it is that a lot of people, as soon as Hung Chao's yeah. character appears on screen, they're like, Oh, I don't like this. I'm out, and they don't trust the movie too. Which, to be fair, is tricky to navigate because once you put that into a public space, there are a lot of shitty people who will, you know, laugh at her accent, yeah. and you know, um, which is deeply uncomfortable and hard to figure out in the process. Not a fun audience movie in that regard, but um, mm -hmm. I I think his intentions are good there. His heart is in the right place. I like that article Ruben posted on his Letterboxd review. Good article. <laughs> Yeah, and and she is a very funny actor, which also yeah. kind of makes it a little more difficult to win in an audience to see what people are laughing at because she's by far the best part of Inherent Vice. She's very funny in that. Oh, I forgot about her in that. Mm. <laughs> mm. She is the best part of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so it's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Too. Yes. <laughs> Alexander Payne rarely disappoints. It's annoying that he's, you know, I mean, I guess like sideways and descendants are kind of uh, uh, difficult to palate. Uh, so I guess that's really thrown things off. But he has more good movies than bad ones. He has a very good track record. Yeah. His criteria is, is very, very good. Too. Ooh. Pick some smart yeah. movies. I'd like to watch that. He seems like a smart guy. <laughs> 
All right. Who's next? Moving right along. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So Let's my number right. ten uh, is uh, probably a movie that will get tabled. I assume. Uh, it's the Bad Batch by uh, Amilu Yamanpour. Yeah, oh. table that. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom in your in your face, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, now you have to talk about a movie you oh. like, yeah. idiot. <laughs> I'm mad. <laughs> Maybe we'll see if you channel channel it into this movie uh, you're going to be talking about. All right, uh, I don't know if this will get tabled or not. Uh, my number ten. Oh, uh, exciting note. First off, uh, at the last minute, it was brought to my attention that based on my parameters for what counts as a 2017 movie, my uh, number six movie, Yourself and Yours, did not count as it has not had an official U.S. release. And as oh, I am boy. a man of principles, I removed it from my list altogether and it is now gone. And that really threw everything into a tizzy. Um, but I think we're looking good now. We're back on track. Um, yourself and Yours is great. I'm sad about it, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll probably get to talk about Hong Sang Soo later. We'll see. Um, for now, <laughs> nice. with that out of the way, you know, Commissioner Mitchell had to step in and make a call. <laughs> um, <laughs> my number 10 movie of the year, as of now, is uh, The Death of Louis Fourteenth by Albert Serra. Um, no table in here. Yes, few. All right. It's just Great. off my list. Ah, okay. I felt like you would be the only one who would potentially have it, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, a kind of unfairly maligned as a slow movie, but I never really saw it as such. It's definitely very mm -hmm. stately and austere, but uh, that's kind of disguising the very exciting uh, stuff it's doing here. Uh, it, it sets up this very painterly looking image uh, that's supposed to kind of recall uh, paintings of the era. Mm, painterly painting. That was silly. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but regardless, um, it's, it's a movie where you're watching uh, royalty decay in front of your eyes. So it's at once this great metaphor for, uh, you know, the, the fallacy of power and the fallacy of uh, the art and images that prop up these people. Um, and kind of as he's dying on screen, he's sort of regaining his humanity by turning into this just disgusting, gross mess of a person who's just like, who's like limbs are rotting off and the like. Um, and uh, as he's being played by Jean-Pierre Leo, we can uh, do a little reading there and uh, infer that maybe it's a little death of cinema narrative, which, uh, you know, <laughs> that's fun too, I guess, a little cherry on top. But uh, I'm more interested in this kind of like reverse Dorian Gray idea that's going on that as this man dies, he slowly comes back into a knowable entity. Um, and then also there's the funny joke that, you know, uh, you know, kings, monarchs, um, perhaps even presidents and the like are more just kind of public figureheads and faces for uh, an administration and all the real heavy lifting is done by all their advisors and the like because, um, you know, Jean-Pierre Leo is essentially comatose for most of the movie, mm -hmm. just kind of like a senile mess and everybody else is making decisions around him and when their medical advice for him doesn't quite pan out, they're just like, eh, all right, on to the next one. And mm -hmm. so there's this like, you know, 
tiers of importance in the public eye versus what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, it, it really delineates power in an interesting way. It's a cool movie. Yeah, it's very funny. And uh, yeah, really gross. And I also think it's very funny, the sort of uh, um, push and pull of that, like the Mitchell was talking about, where like, in spite of everything, they're trying to still make him appear kingly, even though there's like sawing his leg off and stuff. They're very concerned with dressing him, and he has this fancy boudoir thing that he's always like uh, convalescing in. And then it's just like, what is all this? Yeah, <laughs> what a waste of time. <laughs> but. The great image on the poster, of course, is just like this massive wig that dwarfs his like small shrunken head. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> and he gets trotted out to do party tricks, basically, just like comes out and like cracks an egg for an audience. Like, he's just basically a show pony at this point. Just like a, a weekend at Bernie's, but with <laughs> the King of France. <laughs> Fun. Yep, that movie might be coming up. Uh, on the next podcast. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> mm. Okay. Uh, my number 10 is Beach Rats, Ooh. directed by Eliza Hitman. Hitman. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I guess what I want to talk about is self definition. Um, I think this movie has some of the problems that we talked about in the past of a filmmaker from one marginalized group trying to transpose their issues to another marginalized group <clears throat> to tell their story. Um, but I think what this film does really well is uh, capture youth and entitlement in a way that I think is uh, way more interesting than how it's normally portrayed, which is that um, this movie is kind of structured um, in mostly two types of scenes. One in which Frankie, the main character, is with his boys doing dumb shit at the beach, playing handball and whatnot, and smoking drugs, and then Frankie by himself Vaping. in front of his computer, uh, cruising for people to fuck. Mm -hmm. uh, men, other men specifically. Brooklynboys.com. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's uh, a. Hold on. Um, that there's this clear delineation for me for like his abilities, like his seeming ability for self expression in the sense of like he doesn't have a job he kind of does what he wants blah 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 and so he has all this technical freedom but that there's actually these enormous restrictions based on the realities of his life in this case um he you know his closeted homosexuality is part of it but also just like the idea of being part of that generation and not having access to the things that like the baby boomer generation would have had access to, I think is like, it's an important acknowledgement of a sacrifice that has been made. Uh, like we think of young people as being very entitled because they have this level of self-expression, but that they're, they don't have a ton of entitlements 
that generations in past would have. Mm. And I think that that's very clear um, with how the plot goes and his desperation for money. Um, and I think that that is very interesting. And I think that it's a very smart, good-looking movie. That's, I'm a little sad I missed it. It played here for a little while. Mm. But, yeah. Uh, yep. I did, but you were hiding some of your ratings and... So the only opinion I had heard was that Mitchell didn't like it. <laughs> yes. I didn't hide my rating on this one. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy this take, Sorry, though. Mitchell. Normally I say I agree with your review, even though it didn't bother me as much as you. In this case, I don't agree with your review. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, you didn't like the cinematography. I think you might Oh no! No, again. no, no. That's a, <laughs> that's a misread of what I meant, or maybe it was a mistype on my part. Um... <laughs> No, I just, uh, I, I'm just slowly, uh, uh, less and less trusting of the 16 millimeter aesthetic, but it works in this. I really like that last shot and I like most of the shots at Coney Island. Um, the cinematography is kind of what saved it from being like an ultimate, just like, I don't know, so much of this movie annoyed me, but I think the aesthetics are good. Um, mostly for the reasons you stated up front. It just felt like somebody who was uh, intruding upon space that wasn't necessarily their own and that they didn't necessarily have a firm grasp on. But um, uh, I do like your read on it, though. I didn't necessarily pick up on all that, but uh, I think that's a good direction to take it more so than the more overt ones that were annoying me and I think other people mm -hmm. leapt on more readily. I think the fact that his dad is ill is something that a lot of people will dismiss as being like oh it's just another point of like miserableism in his life but i think the intrusion of healthcare in the healthcare system is an important i think that's meaningful tipping off to yeah. uh entitlements no that's a good look at the it. difference between how entitlement is used now and the term entitlements yes. as government yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i i mean you understand what i'm yes. saying i'm bad uh, that that part gave me a pause though just <laughs> in the term of this like closet case narrative to have like a literal dying yeah. father figure in the middle of his living room felt um sure. a little much to me but <laughs> in that reading of it it works much better for sure <laughs> Fair enough. I also enjoyed this movie. Um, it was actually my number That's eleven. Another uh, Ethan experience. Yep. <laughs> Me, Patrick, and Ethan. Ah. Ride. <laughs> beach rats. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, is it me next? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my number ten movie is Sleep Has Her House. Mm. Yeah, oh, nice. Scott Barley. Yeah. Yeah. The I Scott Barley uh, feature film. Yeah. It. This uh, I had a little bit of trouble finding this movie. Um, I eventually had to go like purchase a like five dollar yearly subscription on this site called Kinoscope mm, yeah. to actually watch it because it was it was hard to get to. But um, this movie is kind of incredible in a way that I I find I don't know if you would call it like pure cinema or whatever, but it's just sort of a um, Scott ba Scott Barley himself like. I, I usually don't like it when directors do this when they like tell me how to watch a movie, but he actually like recommends that it's a movie where you watch in the dark, uh, like wearing headphones and just alone. And I actually do think that that heightens the experience of watching this. Um, and I, I think that with this movie in particular, like especially the way that it looks and the way that it operates um, as this sort of like almost like a glimpse into another dimension where humans don't exist and everything is just these sort of like raw forces of nature 
uh, I think it really works in that setting, um, especially with the sound design, because a lot of it is just very dark and, you know, too dark to see almost. And so a lot of times you're going on <laughs> your your other instinct or your other senses besides seeing. And I think the sound design in this works really well. Um, and I also was kind of surprised by it too. Um, I can't remember who it was who heralded heralded the green ray earlier in the year that was you okay mm -hmm. yeah uh, the green ray is actually like i i watched the green ray and then i watched this and i realized that the green ray is actually a segment mm -hmm. in this film oh. so it's actually part of the whole and uh yeah, I, it i found that out uh, moment like yesterday steven told me that and i was like damn i wish yeah. i watched the whole thing yeah it it actually like it fits really well into what it's sort of it's sort of the um I guess the the turning point in the film if there if you could like paste right. a narrative structure to you know what is essentially just watching nature but it um for the longest time I thought okay this is just going to be sort of like these mostly static shots of very dark things and nothing really was going to happen but then like something kind of does happen and I was very surprised by that I was like oh this is like much more it's much more different and much more visceral than I thought it was going to be. And I like that kind of like pushed it up in my estimation. Cause I was, I was ready to be like, Oh, I like it, but I don't know if it's like that great. But then that like visceral pushing in the last third of the movie, I was like, Oh, that's actually like really cool that he did manage to construct some sort of narrative. Even, you know, as loose as that term may be applied to this movie. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, you know, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I'm excited to watch the full thing because the green ray is pretty cool. Yeah, that was definitely a handful of titles that I really meant to catch up with at the end here, and then I got very lazy and barely caught up with anything. So. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. Like, I had a list of like 30 movies left uh, at the beginning of December, and then every few days I'd be like, I'm gonna take a couple of these off. <laughs> That's basically what <laughs> happened to me. I got it down to some bare essentials, and I watched like two of those bare essentials. <laughs> so, Oops. oh well. I had a list of twenty-five. I watched all twenty-five. All right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I had Very to. I didn't have access to um, <laughs> the Phantom Thread and uh, um, the post, so I switched two movies out. Uh, but I still watched a total of twenty-five. <laughs> I rule. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> I missed out on half the end. <laughs> sure, that would have torn yeah. up the charts. I'll count that as 2018. <laughs> if I see it. Yeah. Uh, Basil? Alrighty. Uh, my number nine might get tabled. I guess we'll find out. Mm. It is Good Time by yep. Ben and Yeah, Tabled. Yeah. Table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get enough right. of those Safties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, my number nine um, is another movie by a female director, uh, which really mm -hmm. baffled me that I liked it as much as I did as Paris mm. Wait. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was not, I was not expecting it. that at all. I watched it on the flight to, um, to the U.S., um, and I think I originally watched it because at that point you guys had recorded the mid-year thing and one of you had recommended it. I don't remember Ruben, who. Uh, 
Ruben's better yeah. than Sunfuck. <laughs> and, the person uh, you cheered was on your desk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess on the surface level, there's a lot, like, would, which would make me usually, like, kind of question, like, okay, what am I watching here? Like, this is, like, a really privileged couple, uh, uh, this, this, like, kind of wealthy woman who gets, like, paraded around France by this guy. Um, and they do like all the like bourgey things that you kind of do when you go to France. Uh, and it's all this like fantasy escapist thing. And I'm like, oh man, Hopal is sure like to kind of dwell on the, uh, on the, on the life of the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Um, but actually like the more I, the more I watched this movie, the more I was just like, well, as much as all of that is maybe true, it is still a very worthwhile movie um, and becomes more and more so as long as the more it goes on uh, because Diane Lane is fucking great in it first of all ah, I think nice. she's, she's a really underappreciated actress uh, she was uh, probably the best parts of Streets on, streets on Fire <laughs> um, and yeah. um, well she's really good well, she's the best acting parts of it yeah and the neon lights and the music are the best i agree i agree agree agree, agree. <laughs> for me she's inseparable from them um no but also just the the way i don't know like the way the movie kind of gives her uh or affords her character like a lot of depth that's usually something you know also doesn't have a lot of movies like uh women beyond a certain age perhaps don't get to have as much uh, introspection uh, as they do um, uh, in movies. Uh, the way the movie kind of starts talking about her um, stillbirth uh, was also really, really well done. Like everything is just from the way she gets to tell the story to the way that the guy reacts to the story, everything is like, made in like the most respectful way possible and it's just like you just kind of get into this groove that this movie has um and uh up, all, all the way until the end it's just like a really i don't know like a really special kind of experience that um yeah i was not expecting so way to go other coppola sister <laughs> yeah. The mom. Sister. Yeah, that's sister. The mom. Yeah. Wife. Yeah, this is wife. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Ford's wife. It's his mother, Coppola. Lady Coppola. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. this could technically be considered a debut feature. Cause <laughs> yeah. She's only done a couple first, documentaries. Yeah, yeah this that. is the first like narrative feature that she's directed. So yeah. go Eleanor Some Coppola. Some things that... I liked about this movie is that her photography is good but not great because obviously they could have had professional photographers mm -hmm. do a photography and it's always like that's the kind of thing that like someone I know might be able to take <laughs> a picture that that's well. a good touch. That's nice. Um, <laughs> I like that um, it's like an affair movie but is never salacious or like overtly sexual and of course I like that it's commentary on Soft Boys, 2017, Ooh, hashtag year of the yeah. soft boy. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it trending. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, 2017 is the year of realizing a lot of the Coppola's are pretty cool, not just Sophia. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
going to have to revisit that Palo Alto. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> maybe you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, what's that CQ? The Oh, the no. Um, yeah, Roman <laughs> Coppola's <laughs> movie. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III. <laughs> His follow-up. I've heard of that one. Yeah, that was Roman Coppola's second movie, starring Charlie Jeez. Sheen. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Mm. Um. <laughs> But yes, mm. this is yet another movie I sat I didn't catch up with. I've been rooting for Paris Can Wait, but I didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm glad it's on someone's list. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Me too. Oh boy. All right. My number nine movie uh, is Elaine Guarati's uh, Staying Vertical. Ah, tabled. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll wait. Okay. That means it's me. My number nine is Dislocation Blues, directed by Sky Hopinka. Mm. Uh, this is, and I want to talk about the audio. Mm. This is a short documentary by a Native American director about Standing Rock. Whoa. Um, it consists mostly of two interviews, one which takes place over Skype and one person who didn't want to be seen so we only ever hear his audio over the visuals mm. and uh, so there are obvious literal reasons for these choices but the thematic ones land um, which is a sense of displacement displacement or dislocation as the title says mm-hmm. audio separated from people stories separated from time and of course land taken away from its people and its culture um, you don't have that much to say about it. I started having that feeling from the very first shot of the movie and uh, it just really landed for me that that sense of dislocation of something lost and that we're can't connect to it to the level that we would like to can't go back so Another I one saw you log. I put it on the share drive. I don't know if anybody else. No, I remember you. Uh, prob- I, down- I think you shared it with us. I didn't watch it. I downloaded it, but I haven't watched it. <laughs> I liked it. Nice. <laughs> Sounds good. Ha ha ha. All right, <laughs> Patrick. Um, <laughs> My number nine is Blade Runner 2049. Oh, boy. Nice. Yeah, I know know we did a podcast on this one, but I have a little thing that I wrote about it here. Um, Okay. A a lot of horrendous shit happened this year. (laughs) Uh, No big-budget film encapsulated the feeling of the current seemingly endless sea of god-awful fuckery like Blade Runner 2049. Kay feels just as lost as all of us. At times it's hard to tell up from down and enemy from confidant. It's even hard, it seems, to know oneself. Are your actions, your loves, your feelings a product of your own unique consciousness, or are you just a product of some infernal machine or system? Villeneuve peels back the layers on Kay's true motivations, and by proxy the motivations of the viewer. Why do we feel attracted to a construct or an image on a screen? Why does one death or another make us feel sad? Why do we create the narratives which we shackle to our emotions? Do any of our conclusions carry the meaning we assign them, 
or are they just lies we tell ourselves to keep the narrative of our own unique special consciousness alive? Um, yeah, I, I think I responded to this movie because it was incredibly sad, and I don't think I was necessarily expecting it to be, uh, but it's sad in a way that I think works and is not like just melodramatic. I think it's deeply existentially sad, um, but also I think necessary. I think it's a sort of like, I don't know, come to Jesus movie, if you will, for, I don't know, like nerds <laughs> where it's like, you know, why, why do you feel that you are somehow like special or like, you know, like why do you gravitate towards these narratives that often hold you up as like the savior of everyone else and you know like it delves into a lot of other like gross shit about masculinity where it's all about like oh well i'm you know attracted to this image of a person as opposed to the person themselves and i think that that all that stuff you know like swirled together in this big pot with incredible cinematography by roger deakins that we may hear more about later mm. and um the the soundtrack, which I like a lot, also um, another another Hans Zimmer joint, but um, I think Solid one. borrowed a lot from the original. Yeah, borrowed yeah. a lot from the original Vangelis uh, soundtrack as well for Blade Runner. I think it, I think it all works really well, and it's it's one of the best like you know huge budget movies that I've seen in a long time that actually like dares to be slow and boring in places where other ones I think you know would like the studio would just be like, well, we got to tighten this up. <laughs> and I was glad that Villeneuve like let some of it breathe the way that he did. Yeah. Too bad he spent all his cultural capital on it. So he's going to have to come back under the reins <laughs> yeah. for his next he'll one. He'll have to back <laughs> to the drawing board. He'll have to hit a few, hit a few small uh, pictures. Too. Build back up. <laughs> he's going to be begging them to get on Sicario too. <laughs> Thought he was better than it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we talked about the movie a lot, but I think that it is, uh, it, it was a unexpectedly good year for uh, giving nerds challenging franchise things, and then they didn't appreciate it. <laughs> so uncool. Of course. Of course. Yeah, it's a pretty unusual blockbuster. I don't necessarily have an inclination to run out and go rewatch it anytime soon, but I could see it also growing on me more. It was like a three-star movie at the time, but like it is very unusual and big, and there's stuff going on there that you don't normally see at that level, which is intriguing. I could see it having some, some legs. Yeah, I also see it yeah. more and more completely uh, separately from the first movie. So like a completely yeah. different movie in its own right. Um, I actually feel like a lot of the Blade Runner-ness kind uh, of weighs it down in ways. Although Harrison Ford is really good in it. Way better than in the original Blade Runner, actually. Yeah, yeah this one's much better than the original Blade Runner, which feels like a hot take, but it doesn't actually. <laughs> I, I, I like this one much better. <laughs> yeah. Putting you on blast, Ridley Scott. I, uh, <laughs> that's what this podcast yeah. is all about. It's been, been a good yeah, year for taking down guy. Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> somebody had to do it. <laughs> He's had it too good for too long. <laughs> Bevel? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't stay tabled for long. My number eight is Alan uh, Girardi's uh, staying vertical. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Restare vertical. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of a fun confluence. After I rewatched this movie, I read an essay on uh, fairy tales and their history and the history of just like <laughs> wolves in general and uh, mm. the idea of like men becoming wolves and like a ancient Rome they're all you know uh, like that they would create like uh, bands of like people who would patrol the borders of the Roman Empire and just basically like defend them and murder people and uh, that they would like wear wolf uh, <laughs> like wolf skins and like kind of like behave in kind of like this uh, camp being like you know just like outdoorsy but they so they would tell them you are a wolf now and you have to do what a wolf does which is kill things and then reintegrate into society uh and the kind of dissonance of being like now you're no longer a wolf because uh mm. that is like a way to mitigate hmm. the ptsd of basically being a butcher uh to be like that wasn't you that was that was a wolf <laughs> that did that and uh so then, like, kind of tying that into the running wolf motif in this movie, like, it, it gave me, like, an uh, interesting notion of the main character as, I mean, throughout most of the film, he's kind of like a social predator. Like, he's taking advantage of people in every way that he can and just kind of, uh, he acts like he wants to get away, but then uh, at a certain point, he becomes tied to the baby and has to give up his wolfness sort of but he never really succeeds he can't can't really get it together to be a part of society and the kind of um underlying comments on queerness that that brings out and uh the struggles of assimilation in that way i think mm -hmm. adds a pretty good wrinkle to a movie that i found very very funny on first view but a little confounding in what it exactly was about yeah for sure uh i feel like it's probably the the funniest movie of the year imo um it uh, <laughs> it, uh, it it ended up sinking down my list a little bit it was much higher originally just because i think it's commentary um while very dense um and sometimes esoteric uh is ultimately kind of uh, just kind of broad um it's sort of mm -hmm. just like this is life um it's kind of like a parody of life uh at like 10 times speed and um with uh you know social ramifications emerging immediately as opposed to down the line it's all compressed in this kind of zany right. way that's very appealing and very immediate and very funny but uh, in the macro i guess i was a little like okay you know it's like parody of the way we live but i i do enjoy the uh the the continued tension between him you know just like fucking anyone and everyone in sight as a way of like validating his his existence his like life essence um but then also that impedes his ability to actually live and connect with anyone um but he's just uh totally it, it's kind of like an oddly fatalistic movie he just like goes along with the flow of it and just like ends up in all these places again um without yeah. actually like having any agency 
um, but then is also simultaneously robbing other people of their agency too. And then that gets kind of flipped back around on him in amusing ways towards the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, I think Stranger by the Lake is probably the, the, the superior movie here. It's so perfect and concise and just like this amazing allegory that I'm not sure why no one had ever previously thought of it, but it's very clever. Um, this one's a little more sprawling and unwieldy, but that's kind of, uh, that's fun too. That's also part of yeah. its charm. Yeah, it's a good one. I like this guy. Yeah, still definitely my by far biggest laugh of the year with the, the newspaper joke. <sighs> the newspaper joke is so good. <laughs> it's surely a scene of the year. <laughs> my scene of the year from this movie, Basil doesn't even like. <laughs> Which one is it's it? Okay. It's what is it? <laughs> when he pops up out of the water like the apocalypse now. Oh, song. yeah. He's <laughs> being hunted by his... <laughs> His yeah, <laughs> yeah, by his agent. Yeah, that is good stuff. I also really like the uh, the screenplay he's writing. <laughs> it's really horrible, <laughs> and they love it. <laughs> tough guy. I think one of the characters is called Tough Guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So, Ilya. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, this probably is my biggest surprise of this whole year. A movie that was definitely bigger pretty, than like Paris can wait. <laughs> hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. Even more than Paris can wait. Surprises a movie that was out. kind of uh, really ready to hate, and then I watched it and I didn't hate it, and in fact I liked it quite a bit against <laughs> my better judgment, and that is Ooh. Call Me by Your Name. Whoa. <laughs> CMBYN. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so the reason why I was hell-bent on probably hating this movie uh, is, you know, uh, it's a story about two, a a big, like, an age difference love story set somewhere in, like, a really fancy place in Italy. It's gonna be... Uh, like weird and tragic and like forlorn and uh, every like it's it's just gonna play out like in this I don't know in this very self-important grandiose way and uh, I don't know I guess this movie was none of that it was actually like an extremely low stakes story that just yeah. kind of unfolded like really slowly uh, they kind of showed like how they were both just pretty dickish people, like both Elio and uh, Artie Hammer's character, who I don't remember right now. They're both like pretty selfish guys who kind of deserve each other. Like they're both completely oblivious to a lot of the people in their lives. Another really fun part of me of that was that pretty much everyone around them has realized that what they're doing even before they have. So... Mm -hmm. Like Elio's mom and dad, although her dad doesn't even get that her mo- that his mom has o- also already realized it. They're both right. just like, all right, this is happening, I guess. Which is weird. Like, I'm not sure how to feel about that. And like the Stuhlbarg monologue is like all sorts of like <laughs> like this this li- liberalist liberal superstar dad who's just like, I want <laughs> you to resistance. have all the things that I didn't have. Um, and I'm not even sure, like, some of it came off 
to me like does he mean it's that he would rather cool be gay version of stanley tucci and easy a yeah <laughs> Uh, it's the cool version of Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson and Oh EZA. yes, yeah, yeah, that's we're hip with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Though I actually thought it that you know the way the mom is portrayed in that sense was actually pretty, uh, pretty cool. Um, yeah, and then the what the, the other thing was that all the sex scenes here are just kind of funny. Like they're all <laughs> dorky and and weird. Like they're not. None of it is just like the. You know the sullen touching someone and like the deep like look in the eye they're all like fucking awkward all the time like the first time elio touches arnie hammer's dick is just like this really strange moment where he just doesn't know what to do so i guess he'll do that and arnie hammer just like looks at him and doesn't really know what to do <laughs> and it's just weird and dumb and kind of i don't know like so all that stuff made me uh like enjoy it in a way that i was not expecting to so, yeah. Big ups. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I like the music. Yeah, Sufjan. <laughs> I was. Uh, I was about to say <laughs> the Sufjan Stevens songs. I was uh, uh, actually uh, pretty fine with, which is also nice. something I was not expecting. Surprise! Another Take a dig at Sufjan. <laughs> I like the other music better than the Sufjan, yeah. but I I like the Sufjan Good. too. Mm -hmm. I always like. Yeah, Sufjan. he's nice. But, he's got uh, a nice voice. Yeah. Is it a video? <laughs> One yep. thing that uh, <laughs> Haley liked about the movie a lot was she was like, "This feels like what a seventeen-year-old, like, gay kid would write like a fantasy romance novel about himself <laughs> or whatever like that." There's like no stakes and like everyone's like very understanding and like. There's no like societal pressure and like Army Hammer's just like the most like hot like <laughs> like perfectly yeah. like sculpted dude who's like <laughs> super into him for no yeah. reason and then they just uh, you know like and it and it plays very much in like romance novel tropes where he's like kind of rude to him at first and then in, you know then he's the one who's like no we shouldn't do this and, and then Ilya's like. No, but we should do this. And it's like, oh, okay, we're going to do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that kind of like, they skirt around the, you know, the age difference, like a bit, that's a bit too cute in this movie, like that it never mm -hmm. really even gets mentioned. Um, and uh, mm. that's certainly like a, mm. a weird part of it. But I, I guess 17 year old boys who grow up in like the most, like at a really wealthy house in a really pretty place, maybe to me, <laughs> They're not like the most protected of species, I suppose. <laughs> so they're not the most vulnerable of classes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that, and yeah, I mean that's sort of like what plays into Haley's reading or whatever was the yeah. idea that you know, like when you're young, that's part of the romance fantasy, and that it's been like a pretty standard trope for forever in heterosexual couplings, but. Right. I have some issues with it still, but... Sure, sure. It didn't bother me as much as I was expecting it to. I, I want to stick to my um, sane positive things <laughs> on my positive podcast, but I just want to note, since I haven't read it anywhere else, um, that family is not Jewish. 
There's nothing Jewish about mm. them except for the fact that mm. they have like Jewish stars and Elakis. <laughs> I don't identify with those people and their Jewish experience whatsoever. So I didn't read a fan fiction whatsoever, but maybe that's part of it as well. Mm -hmm. This young Jewish boy imagining his parents not loading him up with guilt every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I did read a review about that. Um, <laughs> that was like, the, yeah. I I don't know. I haven't read. I mean, I haven't read any other like Jewish critics or anything. Mm. But mm. good point. Yeah, I'll say. Hmm. I forget who said it, but it was somebody that was like, yeah. there's no bickering at the breakfast table. Very unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Italian. I'll tell, uh, <laughs> I'll tell a story, which is it, it kind of winds up with something that happens in this movie, but also doesn't, hmm. which is the first time that I was bringing a, a woman home who I was dating. Um, my mom asked me. Uh, whether or not we would, she would need to make up the guest room, yeah. and I was like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, excellent. She was like, kind of like she asked the question because she wanted to be supportive, but then as soon as I said no, she was like super uncomfortable <laughs> with the, <laughs> with the reality of the situation, unlike the parents in this movie. And then when we got. Uh, uh, there and we were all eating dinner because it was Passover um, that she was visiting for. She was like, and I want to introduce everybody to Ruben's friend. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, nice. <laughs> Which is what they do in this movie. So that I sort of identify yeah. with the fact that they keep calling His friend Oliver. They're uncomfortable mm -hmm. saying that he's anything else, but so that I kind of identified with. But the promotion of mm. sexuality. Definitely doesn't jive with my experience. <laughs> yeah. <with> Jewish mothers. <laughs> yeah. Although I think she's not Jewish. I think he's Jewish. Yeah, I think so. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, I. Isn't she Italian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, she could be Italian and Jewish, but uh, would, yeah. I would say that's not exclusive to Jewish things. My my goy yeah. grandmother does that all every time until you're married. That's it's just your friend that's visiting. Nice. <laughs> Loosen up. God, my, parents the, <laughs> my, my parents were exactly the. My parents were exactly the opposite Get of on this. My, <laughs> yeah. my parents couldn't wait to call someone that I brought home my girlfriend, even though they weren't. It was always like super weird. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like my parents. Gross. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm such an emotionally jaded young man now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're not anything just don't understand <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter what they do it's wrong mm. <laughs> it's a no-win right. situation parenting. Yeah. <laughs> all right a my number eight movie is lauren poitras's risk um Ooh. yeah a risky pick <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> uh, uh unfairly derided for being a messy movie but i think uh that's kind of where its strength lies it was uh you know edited up until the last minute uh when it premiered at i believe can out of competition um one of those mm -hmm. like early spring festivals anyhow and then after that went back into the editing bay up until like the same week it was released 
Uh, as such, it's got a very weird shape to it, and um, I hear both cuts are rather wildly different. Uh, and in fact, she had to go back to the drawing board and change a lot once Julian Assange started revealing himself to be a pretty awful public figure. Um, right. But I think, uh, hmm. and so, you know, some of this might be behind the scenes stories influencing uh, a lot of what makes this movie exciting, but I think also there's, there's a, an interesting element of hyper topicality to it because of it. I guess yesterday, or well, yesterday when we were recording, a week ago for the last podcast, uh, mm -hmm. I was discussing how um, my, my special superlative was about how movies confronting our current moment head on did it poorly. Um, this might be the exception to that rule, um, but even as such, it does so in a way that is very messy and murky, but I think it's very fitting for the times. Uh, the trajectory of such starts out as this is supposed to be kind of another Citizen Four propping up a uh, figure who is, uh, you know, uh, kind of free of a particular government who's uh, trying to leak uh, high-level documents and the like and kind of posits him as some sort of hero. Um, and then as the movie shifts, it just gets darker and darker and we kind of realize this person is very unknowable uh, and we start to lose sight of what the actual ideology at play is here uh, and then once uh, allegations come out against uh, Assange's partner Jacob Applebaum um, things get even murkier and it becomes yeah. kind of a question of uh, documentary ethics come into play as well which I found to be very interesting it's kind of like a not obnoxious version of gonzo journalism and I could just I, I like this very strange piece of work that sees the creator kind of getting sucked into the cult of personality as well and sees her fucking up and kind of ends maybe on a note that's a little too bleak, but also kind of matches the hyper topicality of it insofar as she doesn't necessarily have any good answers about where to go next or who to actually look towards uh, it's a movie about, you know power in a public presence just utterly corrupting and derailing everything and by the end this this character who seemed to have some very powerful things to say and some like perhaps positive influence on the world turns out to just kind of i don't know maybe he was always a narcissist maybe he soured into one but uh we're we're kind of left in a very distressing place um it's a very unusual work. There wasn't much else like it in recent memory. I like I like how messy it is. Ultra yeah, is pretty cool. It's, uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty really. pretty upsetting. And uh has only become more strange and upsetting the more yeah. stupid things are revealed. Oh my about god. How... <laughs> very stupid. Oh my lord. It very embarrassing to ever had respect for this gross figure yep. oh man yikes um yeah and i like that like how it addresses the concept of risk to um what are you willing to risk who is uh it, what what level of risk based on who you are and what your social status is how much of a risk it actually is um calls into question much of what he's done and you know as a kind of uh affluent white dude who can kind of afford to globe trot and the such like what has he done versus what she's doing as a documentarian versus what we're risking as a society uh it's 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 interesting it's very compelling the answers that come out of it aren't great
but <laughs> I think they're uh, spot on for where we're at right now. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. My number eight is Raw. Nice. Directed by Julia Tableton. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, my number eight is the movie Knocked Hexen. This is a short Ooh. animated film. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the director's name in front of me right now, actually, but it's uh, from the... It's the movie you hadn't watched, but we're excited to on the mid-season right, podcast. Right, You're right, like, yep. they did a movie about night witches. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Julie Hurtacek Baltzer is the name of the director. Um, this is an eight-minute short film, um, and it's about the night witches, or the Hexen, the women that flew uh, as in the Red Army... Uh, bombing Nazis. The coolest women of all time. <laughs> right, right. Um, there's so many like cool aspects of the story that I thought that like when you hear it, you're like, this sounds like it could be some sort of like woke video game. Mm. <laughs> but it's like <laughs> it's actually like just a really cool real life story that has been sort of suppressed through time by either or misogynist uh, leanings in telling history. And also Western uh, exclusion of Soviet narratives from World War II. Mm. And I really love the style of animation that's employed in this movie. I also think it does a good job of employing a sort of like classic twist in the way that the story is told. Um, and it's, it's told almost completely through just narration and visuals. But it actually like really affected me the the twist at the end of the movie it was i was not expecting i was like ooh, that was quite clever the way that they set it up and um the best thing i can say is that i just i want more of this like i want them to you know maybe get some funding and make this into a feature so uh i hope the the animation workshop the uh, danish animation studio actually like gets some funding and starts making some features because they've got some really interesting stuff going on over there. Even if I didn't like some of their movies from earlier in the year. I was going to make a joke that hopefully if they get funding, they use it for a feature of that and not the naked Mm -hmm. woman on a flying, on a broom or whatever. Not the pirate one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My number seven is the uh, previously tabled the Bad Batch by Anna Lily Amarpour. I mean, I don't have a super like intellectual defense of why I like this movie, but I just like from almost the first shot, I was like, oh, I'm 100% on board for this. I love the colors. I love the cinematography. I love the soundtrack. Yeah, uh, base. Just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do love Ace of Base yep. in spite of their weird Nazi inclination. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that like uh, I think her name's Suki Waterhouse. Her everything about her look, I was just like, wow, I'm into this movie. And then like once it hit the point when uh, uh, it introduces. Um, Jason Momoa and it's just a bunch of slow motion shots of dudes like working out and it's really like upset <laughs> like just like 
so crassly objectifying of these like huge bodybuilder men bodies. I was like, yep, I'm on board for this movie. <laughs> and uh, like, uh, I think that part of what at least some of the people who didn't like it are getting at is they're like looking for a moral center to the movie and assuming because Suki's the main character that she's somehow it. But I feel like the movie's like a pretty strongly a moral movie like that. Like the Bad Batch, they're all bad because that's what, you know they're 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 people who've been exiled from society for doing terrible things and you know that the movie isn't saying like oh that's what we should do with people who commit uh you know transgressions against society but that if you do that like you're not gonna get to be a better person by being exiled from everyone else like so yeah. uh they do pretty terrible things but then uh by the end of the movie it kind of like comes down more on like a idea of like not particularly fitting into either one of like a social choices and trying to like kind of be like well what do you do then and the answer is just like i guess go your own way although that seems bleak as well like it's like a movie that's it's a pop bleakness, which I usually don't like, but for some reason, like, every, I've, I've even rewatched it to make sure that, like, I still felt the same way. And I was like, yep, still 100%. I'm on board for this movie. <laughs> Keanu is amazing in it. Uh, he is. He'd be, definitely be on my short list. Hell for yeah. Supporting actor. He's, he's super, super funny. Uh, definitely. Uh, when he's, like, showing her his whole. Uh, like operation it's like uh all these like drugs and everything he's manufacturing and that's part of how he builds his like weird jim jones empire uh, but uh at one point he has a very funny line delivery where he's like they say you catch more flies with shit but who wants shit <laughs> and just like the, <laughs> he's pretty great yeah like everything in this uh, that bothered me a lot about a girl that walks alone at night or a girl walks home alone at night um mm -hmm. uh, is still somehow also present here like the mm -hmm. kind of hipsterness of everything but here like every all the hipsterness is like basically framed as like a reaction to like a world in which uh, morality just almost doesn't exist. And so like hipsterism is a way to just like affect like, uh, a, 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 let's say, uh, liking something instead of really liking something, you know, because why would you really like anything if everything is kind of bad? Like you just pretend to like things and like that's what you would use as like your fucking little flag or whatever. And uh, I don't know, like in this movie, it all kind of hit me much harder than, or in a, like in a really good way. And I was able to roll with it way more than in that movie where everything was kind of, well, cutesy. And look at them standing here and there's this like little cute song playing and like, oh, isn't it goofy that she's kind of a vampire and on a skateboard and whatever. Like <laughs> here, like all the goofiness is also really nasty. And like, I, like I don't know. So, yeah. yeah. I like skateboard. No, I'm on board with this movie as well. 
I'm less so, but I like how all those bodybuilders, uh, she recognizes those bodybuilders are very uh, post-apocalyptic looking on their own. It's an inherently a post-apocalyptic look. <laughs> These like overdeveloped, massive steroid weirdos. <laughs> Good old massive steroid weirdos. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'll like what comes up. Uh, yeah. Two... Two different movies with uh, acid trips in my top ten. Pretty oh, cool. Oh no! How did that happen? Jersey LSD. <laughs> All right. Then uh, my next one is also another movie that has already gotten uh, its name dropped on the mid-year uh, thing, and that's uh, the Netflix documentary "Get Me Roger Stone." Yay! That's another one. Another movie that's very much about the moment, and yet is, uh, I guess, one of the better examples of it. I've kind of softened a bit on liking the movie as much as I did right in the beginning, when I was like ready to say this is like my favorite movie of the year, because maybe in a weird way I was kind of clamoring for a movie that would like go and make sense of like a political landscape that I had just been like really just thrown by like for 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 a while and it kind of like showed you a lot of all the players that like have like some influence on like what's been happening um but in the end i feel like uh yeah a lot of these people are like fucking charlatans and like giving them a lot of like attention is like just feeding the same feeding them more and whatever and like maybe in a way that shouldn't be done but anyway like i feel like what this movie does really well is it does not just give Roger Stone a platform to just like spout all his bullshit, but just like it kind of exposes like the the idea that we have grown accustomed to like looking at documentaries about politicians uh, and like how how they're structured and like how we take them seriously and and how we perceive them. So a lot of this documentary is framed by like these rules these so-called Roger Stone rules that he set. Roger's rules. And, like, the more you look at these rules, the more it's, they're just, like, like, like something that came out of, like, a soap opera or whatever. Like, if someone, like, just written this they're up, this is, like, very none stupid. of this really... Yeah, all of it is incredibly stupid, but what does that say if a guy who's, like, mm. basically lived his life with this type of uh, stupidity has managed to insert himself into like a huge number of like political uh like serious political uh events that had happened in the u.s in the past like 40 years like well how does a guy like that like make sense in it and i think this movie really gets at that really well like it watching it made me realize how much sense it does make for a dude like this Mm -hmm. to play such an important role in this theater um, so, uh, as, as obvious as that, as obvious as that, like, idea of, like, um, I guess performance and politics becoming, like, more and more and more the same thing is as a statement to make, I feel like this movie explains it in a really well, in a really good way, and it is a really, like, slow burn indictment of the guy that Roger Stone is, like, it gives him time to kind of present himself the way he wants to, but then, like, slowly but surely really kind of, like, burns him in a lot of places. And I, I, 
I guess I appreciated uh, that um, in the end. That's st still enough to, yeah, land it here on my yeah. top ten. Yeah, I um, yeah, I like the Rogers rules as like sort of a counterpoint because I recently rewatched uh, Fog of War, the Errol mm -hmm. Morris thing, which has a that's what it made me think of. Device. Yeah, 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 and like I feel like this movie does a much better job of like painting him like giving him the rope to hang himself and sort of like uh showing like what a kind of like cartoonish like it almost does like it has like the opposite project of like here's roger stone a person sort of but he's actually like really like a public construct that he's created like a persona yeah. to uh like a, advance an agenda whereas like the fog of war what really bothers me about it is like Oh, here's this face, a person, Robert McNamara, that is responsible for all these things. But he's actually a person, too. And I was like, yeah, a war criminal. Like, yeah, I'm not super excited about, like, seeing the Rehabbing his image now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of, like, a guy who's, like, committed atrocities and then giving him a platform to be like, oops, sorry, sort of. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I accidentally yeah. all of Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like his... Uh, yeah, I mean, people really were suckered into it in the class that I saw the movie in, but, like, I was like, he doesn't even give, like, a real apology. It's, it's like a very phony political mea culpa, and I was like, mm. this is not, like, being, like, I did horrible things, and I wish I hadn't done them. It's like, I, I did bad things, but, like, that was the time we were doing them, like, you know. Oh. <laughs> Evolving uh, standards of decency. Everyone was committing genocide back yeah. in the 60s. <laughs> we just didn't Who know yet. <laughs> Ask your mother. We had no major experience of genocide in my generation, <laughs> which to point to and say is What about World War II? I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 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 World War what? <laughs> so yeah, as a as a counterpoint to that, I think that it's it's very smart in the way that it uh, looks at the current Republican landscape. Yeah, he's a big dork, and everybody's impressed <laughs> with him for no real good reason. Yeah, <laughs> he just uh, does all these little tricks that confound all those uh, all those people out in Washington mm -hmm. who have like a real binary way of thinking. Um, but he's just a dumbass like <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah exactly. really nice suits true very well dressed though wow yeah like his... <laughs> although <laughs> i've seen some pictures of him as of late where it's like okay buddy <laughs> picture where he has like a bowler hat and a cigar so big that like he has to wrap his entire mouth around it it's very phallic oh. yeah <laughs> yes it's a bad proportion well he's like gay he doesn't let you forget it that he's gay and republican Mind oh, no, he blown. Just, he's he's straight. He's just a big supporter of gay rights. He marches. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah. in the right, right, right. and people go. I don't know how to. Whoa. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> um, my number seven movie of the year is Sue Friedrich's "I Cannot Tell You How I Feel." Um, 
I like it for similar reasons to uh, uh, reasons I enjoyed No Home Movie last year, my best film of the year. Uh, and, yeah, Stephen made a rude joke that this is, uh, you know, like a good version of No Home Movie. I think they're both <laughs> nice movies on their own terms. They both have nice things to say or actually like hard things to say as well. Not necessarily nice things, but uh, smart things would be the correct term here. Um, it's a chronicle of Sue Friedrich and her siblings putting their mother into a retirement home as she kind of slowly slips into dementia. Uh, and it chronicles the struggles with that. Um, and so it's uh, that's kind of where the NoHo movie comparison comes in. She's recording everything. It's not color corrected. It looks like home video footage. Uh, but the twist here is that uh, she is constantly putting uh, captions on the screen that uh, articulate her genuine feelings in the moment, which are often quite harsh um, and conflicted. Uh, you, you can tell that as a, a queer woman, she's had some uh, conflicts with her mother over the year that remain unresolved. And so she's in this um, particularly uh, precarious position where she has to be a caretaker for her mother now and has to kind of, uh, you know, follow her, her whims as she's increasingly lost in dementia, but also is still like a little embittered, still kind of embarrassed of her mother's conservatism and has all these emotions to work out that she's kind of no longer able to because her mother isn't fully cognizant. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there's this just very uh, interesting stirring tension at play between kind of obligation to family and obligation to those who uh, are sick um, in supporting them through that time, but also uh, trying to give validation to her own very real, very complex emotions. Um, and it's, uh, it's a dissonance that's very hard to process um, because it feels very rude to be like oh my god i'm so tired of dealing with her like she said the same thing 20 times today like i can't deal with it and she's being racist towards the help and stuff and accusing him of stealing things and i'm tired of it and just want to leave her um but then also you know spending time with this woman whose mind is slowly fading and is a, a, a pitiable character um it's uh, it's a nice, concise movie that contends with some uh, pretty intense emotional uh, spectrums that I don't believe I've really ever seen contended with before. Um, stirring stuff, really intense. Yeah. Sounds good. Huh? Yeah. I, interesting. Cool that Sue Friedrich I'm... is still going into mm -hmm. the 2010s here. I'm glad she's still making work. She's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which of her movies that I've seen. I've definitely seen at least one. Mm. Sink or Swim? Never, never heard of yes. her until now. Oh, she's rad. Interesting. Definitely going to check that out. Yeah. It uh, premiered on Mubi. It had a very limited release. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's pronounced movie. Oh, <laughs> sorry. The <laughs> Bazinga. Bazinga, indeed. Um, <laughs> all right. Bazinga. My number seven is a movie we've heard a little bit about. It's Detroit <laughs> by Catherine Bigelow. Nice. <laughs> um, 
I understand Ilias and other people like Angelica Bastian, who's one of my favorite critics working today's points about this movie, but what I liked about it is I think it's a pretty searing indictment <coughs> of white action during uh, hmm. this violence that's happening to black people as a white audience member looking for a white person that you might want to say, well, there's someone who did a good job. <laughs> there is no one in this movie. <laughs> From front to back, every time you think that someone might be on your woke side, mm. they are not. So the movie, um, the three cops who turn out to be kind of the antagonists of the piece are driving around and Will Poulter's character is talking about how we've failed them and you're like hmm what he's saying right now could be plucked out of the lines of you know a Vox article or something like <laughs> that but it turns out that his patronizing feelings <laughs> towards black people lends to pretty easy racism mm, yeah. very quickly um, later and probably my second favorite moment of the movie when they've got every uh when the big second act uh set piece is happening uh the police and national guard are there at first and the national guard guy starts to get uncomfortable and he walks outside to his boss and he's like hey some bad shit's going down in there and his boss is like mm, we should leave <laughs> <laughs> Not, Jesus. we should tell them to stop since we have, you know, superior, like, the National Guard has rights over the police in that situation. Mm. They can tell them, like, you need to stop and you need to let these people go or uh, arrest them or w whatever. They could have made those decisions, but their decision is to leave. Yeah. Um, well, they're concerned about optics. The, they're like, oh, this looks yep. bad for us. We should get out of here. <laughs> Not a good yep. look. Not a good look. You've got um, the one guy who finally does, after things cross the line, decides to let the people leave. But again, it took until that point. It's like, uh, you're a good person, I guess, once it's become clear that people are actually dying, like right up in your face. Right. Before then, you can sort of just let things slide. <coughs> and even the women, who are probably the best white characters in the movie, as soon as they get the chance to leave, they're just like sad about it. But they don't do anything. We never see them appear again. They don't show up in court, to um, in the court scenes. They it's they just, do, uh... but they don't help. Okay. But they they're not yeah, very helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then of course you know I enjoy any movie that rightfully points out that um, Jim from The Office is a horrible person. <laughs> so, oh my god! I like for sure. <laughs> He, he was casting of John Krasinski. When he walked in and he's like, Holy I'm the racist shit. cop defending lawyer. I was like, there's the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Makes yeah. a face at the camera. Yeah. Wow. Racist Krasinski is a, a, a sight to behold. Seriously. But, you know, not far-fetched. Very believable. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Between so, that and 13 hours. It's really showing yeah. us. <laughs> And that the, the, really the coming into his own. Out, I what is oh the, yeah, his directorial debut. Yeah, this horror movie made by a guy who doesn't like horror movies. That's good. <laughs> oh yeah, a Quiet Place. That's right, <laughs> a Quiet Place. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I this and my number six, I have some aesthetic issues mm. with, but um, as I mentioned on mm, the previous podcast, but uh, I think Catherine Bigelow is actually really, really good at sort of subtly pointing out the worst of people mm. in a way. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, Point Break is probably her most optimistic movie. Also my favorite, but she does a lot of, I think, cool, surprisingly subtle stuff in her modern career, especially. And it makes me sad that people think that Zero Dark Thirty and uh, The Hurt Locker are pro-military movies. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, did you watch the movie that was made? (laughs) Yep. The U.S. government did, so they didn't approve use of U.S. government, like, planes and stuff in Zero Dark Thirty. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, just, like, to, to do the same thing as Ruben does, is to say something positive about a movie that uh, maybe in total I felt negative about. I feel exactly the same way. Not a single cop in sight where you could have thought, like, oh, maybe this guy now is going to do something none of them do anything that's really that was very satisfying on like oh obviously unsatisfying to watch but like a satisfying on like (laughs) on a level of what is what that is transporting and you know that's obviously that yeah that entire system is not to be trusted uh, whatsoever there were (laughs) flashes before where there's like a homicide detective that tells the main racist guy that he's gonna uh, you know he's gonna take him to court or whatever that he's gonna uh uh, basically start an investigation into him, but then we never hear from him again. <laughs> like, yeah, he says and... it, he lets him go, and he never shows up again in this movie. So that's also like, uh, okay, I guess he mm. forgot about it, or whatever. So that's just yeah. as much an yeah. indictment of that. The... Yeah, the, the like weird, terrible process of like administrative punishment for police officers is like, yeah. you shouldn't be on the streets. Pretty soon, but go do it <laughs> sometime soon. Figure that out later. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna get IA to look into you at some point but, in the near future. And, uh, yeah, I also really like, uh, from a narrative perspective, how frustrating a character John Boyega is because I feel mm-hmm. like as an audience member, you're initially encouraged to be like, "Oh, this is the guy. He's gonna like do something." And then he's just like inert the whole movie, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, this like when's the point when John Boyega is gonna break? He's gonna do something." And it's like, "Nope, never." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler really alert. Do. He's already broken at that point. Yep. So yeah, yeah. All he does is which is get... sort of also ties into my interpretation of the ending, which, as I said, doesn't totally yeah. work. But it's this idea that this second act is all this emotion and violence and that the third act is very inert and Mm -hmm. slow and sort of like we get these moments where revolution is really required and our response is just to sort of like be very frustrated and weep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then try to put your faith in the systems that are designed to (laughs) fail you. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> Bummer. Mm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot more positivity coming. So Yay. good. <laughs> yeah, well, my next one is also uh, positive. Uh, my number seven movie is Girls Trip. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Directed by Malcolm D. Lee. 
Um, and I have a little missive here. Um, in the worst of times, it is important to remember how to laugh. The therapy of comedy remains just as important as staying focused and vigilant. Girls Trip represents a release, both in a meta sense and in a narrative sense. It's a film about realizing what is wrong with your world and being brave enough to take the steps needed to change it, even if it means putting your comfort and stability on the line. It's a film that embraces a measure of disorder and explores how that can be exactly what is needed to shake loose from a reality that you've known was wrong but hadn't had the courage to admit it to yourself. It is a film that also rewards calling out bullshit because calling it out means that you can start working to make things better. So yeah, um, mainly what I loved about this movie is that it was very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, f- I feel like I didn't see a lot of movies that I was like, uh, that I just really, really got into the humor of and like <laughs> with, thought were like actually really hilarious. And there were certain points in this movie where I was like, the the bits feel like they they are borrowing from somewhere else but on their own they work completely it feels like they've sort of like retooled other worse bits and been like you know what would make this better if we put it in this different context and like even some of the gross out humor like jada pinkett peeing on the people on the zip line i was like that works for me because of the like push and pull of the way that the scene is set up where it's like she like it it works with her character as being the sort of like reserved one who's afraid to you know let herself loose and then like she is caught in this moment where she literally has to let herself loose over all these people and i was just like it's great it works on both levels because it's hilarious to see all these people get peed on but also (laughs) she's having a character growth moment might have to at the same time (laughs) okay well i don't care if you disagree but it's uh i i think that 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 was hilarious to me in the uh, trailer when I saw it. It was hilarious to me in the movie when I saw it. And uh, I just, yeah, there were so many scenes of this movie that I laughed really hard at, and I was really happy that I experienced it. I like it too, though I don't like that scene, and I seem to be the only one. (laughs) I don't like watching people get (laughs) peed on. (laughs) Well, may I recommend a, a German movie for you? That oh. you will really, really like. Uh, taxis and clothes. <laughs> um, mm. Matt, I... Yeah, I, I also find the movie very funny. Tiffany Haddish is she's great. funny yep. in it. Uh, she's a pro. She's good. She's I, getting all and the... And I actually think that... Uh, I think Jada Pinkett is under some... Oh, yeah, of course. Movie too. Mm-hmm. I, I think she does a good job. Because she has, like... She's not the one with all the hilarious, flashy, funny lines, but she actually has like a bigger character arc than Tiffany Haddish's character and like does it very Mm. admirably and I was like yes I like really connected with this character even though she's not on screen that much compared to everyone else yeah I look forward to watching this movie even though the one Malcolm Lee movie that I've watched is probably one of my least favorite movies of all time (laughs) movies that (laughs) which is the the best man I like I couldn't even finish watching that it's so so bad. It does not hold off. The best man holiday and Barbershop yeah. Three is great though. Bar- yeah, nice. Yeah, Barbershop Three is Barbershop pretty fun. And... Yeah, and this one is too. Queen Latifah's a lot of fun in it too. She makes out cool. with a lamp. That was funny. That shouldn't have been funny, <laughs> yeah. but it was. The, that, that whole like <laughs> tripping on absinthe scene is so funny to me too. Yeah, what a strange choice. <laughs> tripping on absinthe. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
I was like, how very New Orleans of them. Yeah, the Big Easy. Absinthe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is definitely a New Orleans in a, drink. In a, uh, I have... a fun Ava DuVernay cameo. <laughs> yeah, there were so many like fun cameos in this, uh, like yeah. just from all over the place. It's a it was great. Very nice, joyous yep. movie. I was happy with that. Hello. <laughs> My... Yeah, my number six is uh, Get Out, directed by Jordan Peele. Yeah, uh, it's um, a movie. Should I table it? Because it's also my number six. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll table it too. Right, we'll talk we'll about talk it when about it rolls around, around to me. Three people. <laughs> three people. Um, yeah, right. I guess. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, Patrick, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for you then because it's also mine. Number six. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry about it. I knew it was. I knew I had it on my list, but I didn't know where. So there you go. Uh, hey, look at that. I bet my number six is going to get tabled. Maybe my number six is uh, Faces Places. Mm. Ah, table. table. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> my number six is not going to get tabled. What? <laughs> we'll see. It's the fate of the furious oh, directed oh, yeah. by F. Gary Ooh. Gray. <laughs> 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 it's me alone on an island <laughs> defending this movie exciting um it's a good stance like the kinks so You're like the quality to. that i noted about this movie is iconicism um somehow we did a whole podcast about it and i didn't mention my second favorite part of the whole movie which huh. is where dom dresses up as goth industrialist batman <laughs> the jaws of life with a chainsaw attached that to it dope. to cut open a car <laughs> and i was like well i didn't know that i could enjoy a movie just based off of its ideas even when its aesthetics is so retrograde to what i'm looking for mm-hmm. um but apparently i still can <laughs> if a movie has enough parts where i'm like whoa this is badass. <laughs> I can just be, you know, ignore the fact that it's on my short list for worst editing of the year. <laughs> right. Um, so we already talked about it a lot. It's sort of, that's all. I, it's, it's probably one of my favorite trailers of the year for that reason. Cause all those great <laughs> moments are in the trailer, but once it gets run out to its full runtime, I, I lost a little steam. I'm, I'm convinced if Justin Lin had been just given this mm. script and this ideas that it would have been the best Fast and Furious movie, and yeah. that maybe it would have been a five star film. Yeah, because there's some like I don't know. very good they on very, paper. Sentences. They were very mean to Elsa Pataki, and I couldn't forgive them for that. <laughs> well, that might have been finagled out. <laughs> if it Do what? Justin Lin, I said that might have been finagled out, uh, but yeah, one can only hope. <coughs> Where are you, Lynn? Come back right. to us. Uh, so I guess, I guess we can all talk about Get Out now. Yeah. Um, you can go ahead and start <laughs> it up, six. Patrick. Yeah, um, so this movie that I, I saw it, the first time I saw it, I didn't quite think it was as good as I ended up thinking it was. Um, but based on just what I've like listened to and read about it over the, like throughout the year and the fact that it came out early in the year, I guess, is important because I've had a lot of time to read about it and think about it and just sort of see the way that other people have reacted to it and i think that there are like 
still layers to peel back about this movie, especially in the way that people <laughs> peel react back. to it. And uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> one of the Jordan peel back. Uh, the one of the the, the like things that I wanted to focus on because so much has been like written and said about this movie already. Uh, I think like almost all of it is is true about the way that it transposes the sort of like real life horror of acting like having to exist in these spaces where you are singled out because of the color of your skin and there's like literally nothing you can do about it but uh, i wanted to talk about steven root's character um and he the the way that he is sort of like positions himself initially as you know like the the good guy like the the one good white person because he's there to talk to chris as like an artist and he's like oh you've got a great eye like i think you're you know i think you're a great artist like i'm i'm here to just focus on that i'm not going to say like weird racist shit to you like all these other people but he sort of still maintains that position up to the point that he is you know telling chris like i'm gonna be given your body and he, he basically says, like, I don't care about all this racist stuff they're talking about. I just want your eyes. And so he's couching it in these sort of utilitarian terms where he's like, I just need some eyes because I'm blind. You know, um, I'm still going to participate in the system that destroys your agency and, you know, robs you of your body. But I'm not bad like these other people. I'm just, you know, trying to get by or whatever. And I was like, that's such a perfect encapsulation of the way that people try and, like, be like i don't see race you know i'm just trying to live my life or whatever and it's like you can't participate in a system that's going to destroy black people and also maintain your innocence within the whole process like you are still part of it even if you say that you're not and i i I was like that's such a fantastic like element to add to this story like and, and a very important one. Yeah. Django. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Slavery is deplorable, but in this instance, <laughs> it benefits me. So <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, oh yeah, you can go ahead. And I'll go last. Yeah, you guys go ahead and talk about it too. Um. Yeah, uh, I got, I've gotten also like the movie has kind of grown in my own estimation since having watched it. Uh, Me too. So um, that's well, I watched it again. <laughs> so yeah, I actually I I wanted to, it, yeah. but then I I didn't. But I guess just uh, thinking about it more and more helped. And uh, I don't know. I guess the things that bothered me initially about it that like. You know, oh, maybe like it was they were acting like too obviously, like it was all like overplayed or whatever, like started bothering me like kind of way less. I like the idea of like every single black uh, actor uh, in this movie being a lot better than all the white actors in this movie was like an interesting little thing. Um, uh, I really liked actually a lot, a lot of the supporting uh, actors in this. The more I thought about it, the more. I like like uh, uh, Marcus Henderson. What's her the other Betty Gabriel? Like all the 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 all the scenes like like I can't, I keep like remembering them in my mind when like Betty Gabriel is like talking and crying to uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, that was just She's like also good in this year's up. Beyond Skyline. 
Nice. The sequel to nice. Skyline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that Skyline sequel you were all waiting on. It's pretty great. Frank Grillo and the guy from yeah. Raid. And this lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite the trio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, like, uh, the idea of uh, uh, interracial uh, relationships being explored... Uh, explicitly as uh, uh, an area that is, uh, you know, uh, dangerous for you, can be, li be life-threatening for you, and often from the people that are supposed to be there to watch out for you, is uh, a very worthwhile thing to explore, um, and uh, something I'll certainly be returning to. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm not going to add a super lot because this movie is definitely the most talked about movie of the year. Sure. Uh, mm. Star Wars. Some... <laughs> In some circles. Uh, yeah. Sight and sound still got get out as number one. Wow. But, uh, New Yorker. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, what, uh, I'll talk about quickly is sort of um, uh, something that Armin White wrote a long time ago that's always stuck with me is the idea of like um, uh, the metaphorical leap that I mean lots of other people have written about it too but he was the first person that kind of introduced me to it that um, black audiences to be a fan of cinema is to have to project yourself into being white like mm. too, like mm. you know to to be like okay to get on board for this mm. i have to make this metaphorical leap where i'm like i'm understanding this white experience that's the way and trying to see myself in it in order to kind of create the the empathy and the uh sort of um escapism that a lot of cinema uh brings to people and that uh you know the uh, white audiences are almost never historically asked to do the same. And I think that, uh, as I mentioned in my review, sort of uh, Bell Hooks's essay, The Black Oppositional Gaze, mm. is uh, pretty relevant to this. That, like, you know, recognizing that looking at things gives you power and that, like, cinema is, like, about looking at things. And so... The fact that uh, Chris is like a photographer, I think that Jordan Peele very cleverly kind of like weaves in this idea of like his looking is like giving him a power in this that uh, really uh, sort of sets him apart. And like, you know, is I mean, you know, as the plot structures or whatever, his ability to notice details is how he escapes the situation and et cetera, et cetera. But like, just the idea of like uh, asking the audience to be like, here's uh, the the feeling of looking around at the world when you're black and how <laughs> despairing it can often be. And uh, I think that it's pretty cool that Peel was able to do that. And uh, Daniel Kaluuya is still my favorite performance of the year. Uh, he really brings all that to life so uh 
good job, Peel. And so for like, you know, I don't know, I recognize a lot of the issues that people talk about with the movie and that it isn't perfect, but sort of uh, as far as like radical mainstream cinema, I was like, well, no other movie did this this year that I saw and that has stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, James Baldwin writes about that a lot in The Devil Finds mm. Work as well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, obviously, I didn't think that Armand White was the <laughs> person the who came up with that idea. <laughs> but no, but like, Ar Armand, Armand is good for the occasional. Uh, yeah, I mean, good, I think it's problematic pointer. in the sense that he went his, off the uh, deep end. Well, yeah, in, even in his. Um, he let uh, me down. Even in Should his endeavor, yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, Whoa, there's two Rubens. His example. Mm -hmm. uh, in the example that uh, I was talking about, he was talking about um, a movie a white director made about black people and how great that movie was, partly because they were willing to, you know, jump into the mind of being black and yeah it's probably like the blind side or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know like probably. good sentiment not so good uh <laughs> example yeah classic <laughs> seems about right i think because of his comedy background jordan peele has an excellent uh practice in sort of setup delivery which is shown mm -hmm. throughout this film it's probably the best example of Chekhov's gun mm -hmm. uh, mm. and sort of over and over and over again in the movie and I would say that for me it's a very promising debut and I guess in the future I sort of hope that he does a little bit less A plus B equals C mm. right and gets a little messier mm -hmm. yeah Hopefully I think that's that... where I ended up with it as well <laughs> Black Klansman the movie he's producing with Spike Lee. Oh boy, like I'm very excited. <laughs> very promising. All right, <laughs> I'm so hyped. Oh, yeah. Denzel Washington's son, Denzel Jr. Never mind, I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep doing this. This is fine. <laughs> Adam Driver, <laughs> yeah. Topher Grace. Oh boy, bringing Topher back. Yeah. We missed you. <laughs> Basil, it's actually your turn again, I think. Yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Just enjoying the, the riffing on Grace. <laughs> Grace. <laughs> After America. Uh, yeah. Yeah, my, my number five is definitely going to get tabled. It is uh, Olivia Sayas' personal shopper. Tabled. Yeah. Hmm. Called it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> My spot's going to get blown up. <laughs> <laughs> number five to you, Ilya. Yeah. Uh, my number five is uh, another uh, Doug Lyman joint, also already Ooh. mentioned on this. It's The Wall. Uh, yes. I really, really love this movie. Wall. It's Wall. a really like, it's Wall. my. <laughs> There's like every round again, there's like a really great little, uh, very self contained, whatever, like um, short movie that I think like two years ago it was The Drop that I really liked. That was just like 
low, kind of low in its stakes, but like super, like got gets you really into this place that where everything is happening and whatever. And the wall is maybe one of the best examples of that maybe I've ever seen. Like it's just this basically incredibly st stagey, let's say, uh, concept of like these two. Uh, soldiers like being like watching out well, for the sniper and then the, one of them gets shot and the other guy has to try and figure out maybe how the way to get him out of there and like once this movie starts you kind of like start picking up on the fact like wait 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 who like these soldiers are like total meatheads like is this <laughs> on purpose is this on purpose that they are that that way and uh uh, what does that exactly like mean? And then like once the sniper, like the Iraqi sniper, is shown to have a voice, and then there's like this cool little fancy backstory about him, how he like has supposedly already like killed all these uh, all these soldiers. I'm like, oh, I'm so into this right now. <laughs> this is great. Um, and then the lead, I don't remember his name, Johnson, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Johnson. I've never. Uh, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen TJ. him. In anything uh, before, I think he was actually really. Oh no! I never watched Kick Ass. Yeah. Um, oh, so Kick -Ass. Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah. I don't know, like, if he's usually this like supremely unlikable. <laughs> like, he's very unlikable in this movie, yeah. and yet you spending. It's great cast. Usually for a different yeah, reason. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're spending. <laughs> he's normally supremely unlikable because he can't. Right. Like a black but, hole but I thought. And you're like, why? But I actually thought his acting was pretty okay in this because I mean I you spent like so much time with him and uh, all the, you know, all the weird emotions that he's going through trying to like break out from under that little wall, uh, literal wall, um, yeah. is uh wall is really. Really fun. Like even just talking about this movie now makes me want to rewatch it because there's the way Lyman just keeps setting up these little uh, things that oh maybe he has an idea how he might try this or try that and he keeps like setting them up and then they're constantly failing. It's just a really nice little exercise. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I mean this movie ends with the the bad guy, quote unquote, winning. Right? He blows yeah. up that fucking helicopter. And yes, he does. I'm not sure how you're supposed to feel about it at the end of this movie. Actually, I'm like, uh, so great. that's like, that's like more than a war movie. You know, that's the exact opposite for me of like mm -hmm. something like like Dunkirk, something like the Vietnam War documentary, and like all these other fucking movies that I'm just so sick of seeing. I am absolutely on board with an American director making war movies about American soldiers. And how much they get shot, and how much they, they uh, and and how, how how what bastards they are, and whatever, and that yeah. you're not really Very sorry racist. for them, and whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, more of that, please. Um, very very enjoyed this movie. So yeah. yeah, yeah. The wall's the exact kind of movie that would have made my list last year. I had lots of like fun genre. Huh? Tight yeah. roles that, uh, the shallows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got that. I have no cohesive theme for my list this year. It's mm -hmm. all over the place. Mm. Yeah, I think that this year uh, my list went a different way, but uh, I think I have a wall. Still pretty excellent. Yep, still in my twenty. It's great. Mm -hmm. I love it. 
I think, uh, yeah, uh, 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 Basil got me to go see it. I'm very thankful because I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anti-imperialist nice. war movie. Yes. Good stuff. Yes. Yeah. And John Cena, pretty fun laying face down for most <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, go back to that. Less, yeah. less cock blockers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, all right it's me now <coughs> mm-hmm. about that time all right my number five is robin campillo's 120 beats per minute nice uh, oh, boy, oh yeah yeah uh i didn't really think much of this movie going into it all the reviews out of can and like uh, made it sound like something i would not enjoy like historical biopic kind of long and the like um you know, playing off of like social issues in a way that on paper sounded like it could be just kind of flat and awardsy. Um, but in practice, it's great. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, it was probably the most moving movie I saw this year. Uh, a few movies like provoke like a pretty intense emotional reaction, I guess, in terms of, uh, I don't know, just generally being sad. Uh, but this one did it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's something about his his style that in some ways is kind of like workmanlike and perfunctory, but he's also still very stylish and has very good uh, cinematography. Uh, and the way I mean, it, it it was it's also like a slam dunk contender for best screenplay of the year too for me because I I really enjoy the structure of this, the way they uh, lay out the kind of grassroots activist meetings um, that ACT UP has. Uh, it feels very real. The tensions make sense. Uh, everybody's uh, qualms and disagreements feel very well realized and honest. Um, and I like how it's kind of structured in a way that sort of seems clunky on paper, but worked really well for me in practice, where you have like these activist meetings um, that kind of bump up against uh, the actual direct action work they're doing that bump up against the romances that bump up against the partying and it's uh, kind of it's a, it's a timely message about you know taking direct action but also being conscious of the people who are directly affected by um, you know bigoted policies by the government and that some people uh, their activism is just more a matter of life and death that they have like a ticking clock to it um, and they have to jam all of this stuff together in the lines between work and leisure and uh, political activism start to blur for them. Um, and it's it's got one of the most moving endings of the year. The last 20 minutes are pretty devastating mm. and the editing is just exceptional. Um, really, mm. really good. I liked this movie a lot. I didn't think I would think much of it. It's great. Nice. Well. Yeah. Yeah, I like a lot of the performances, too. Mm. Sophie Hennell's having a great year. Yes, between this and Unknown Girl, <laughs> she's yeah. killing it. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's a movie okay. I'd, I'd My like. number five. Oh, oh sorry. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it's a good, it's a movie I'd like to revisit in the next couple of years, because, uh, like, everything you say about it, I'm like, yeah, I all that stuff is there, so why didn't the movie quite work for me and i like even walking out of it i was like i don't i don't know i don't understand so yeah like, yeah i mean i think inevitably it does have kind of like a, a biopic vibe to it that might be a barrier for a lot of people <laughs> so there's that 
even though it isn't genuinely a biopic it's you know a biopic about an institution an activist group but still right it's got that vibe for sure it's a sorry it's a go vibe. for it ruben <laughs> It's, it's getting tabled. Ooh, oh. My number five is Ex Libris, the New York Public Library, directed by Frederick Wiseman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, table that. <laughs> Gotta table that, Wiseman. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my number five is Lady Bird, directed by Greta Gerwig. Mm, Lady, Lady Bird, Lady Bird, Lady <laughs> yeah. Bird. Yeah, I don't. I the, my my list is like fully mainstream this year, guys. Uh, no, I like yeah, this. That, do avant garde movie no one has heard of. Yeah. Is your number 10. Yeah. And, uh, totally mainstream. The girls short animated movie about night witches. Get out of here with your mainstream movies. But I'm like, I'm like, get out, Lady Bird, Blade Runner. Like, yeah, all the hits are here. Blade Runner is uh, off mainstream, though, because it was like failed mainstream. Mm-hmm. Really? I feel like a the lot other of people. Th- I don't know. It's still showing up on so. some best of. I, I feel like it's. I feel like the critics love it. I don't know. Um,. But Who yeah, the, I I think that Greta Gerwig does a great mm-hmm. job of, like, both making her lead endearing and also making her kind of an asshole, and in general making all of the teenagers kind of assholes. Like, but not in a way that you hate them for being that way. They they genuinely feel like they're just young and they don't really know who they are yet, and so they're assholes by proxy of that sort of like i don't know like wild teenage energy that they don't really know what to do with they don't really know how to focus it properly to uh interpret the world around them and i i think it's pretty brave even that um greta gerwig takes a character who's essentially supposed to be her and actually like dares to put like some really gross things coming out of her mouth um especially the part where she is upset about not getting into a certain college and she like turns on her brother and says something really racist to him and i was like wow that's like you're really going in on yourself there if you like really want to like show up the privilege of this character who like resort to being super racist to this person who is extremely close to her just because of how upset she is about something Mm -hmm. and uh i i also enjoyed the dynamic between the mother and daughter in this because i think that it's traditionally narratively antagonistic but at the same time, you get that sense that there's so much like love between them, and I, I was like, it's you hardly ever see where two characters are as like not not over the top antagonistic, but they also clearly love each other, but antagonistic in the way that feels kind of petty almost at times, where they're just like the mom is constantly like nagging her about little things, and they're getting into fights over these little, you know, like things that kind of seem insignificant but also you understand like where each of them is coming from on the issue it's like you know just just momming her basically being like you know did you do this thing and she's like gosh mom get off my back or whatever and and i really like that that dynamic is played really well it's not overblown it's none of the drama and it feels too unrealistic It, it all feels very honest and very nice and i also like the way that the um the movie also takes time away from ladybird and gives you sort of the inner life of some of the other characters too like the dad go- i i i think the scene where the dad goes in for the job interview and the guy is just like he like doesn't know what to say to him he's just like 
it's clear that he's not getting the job, but the interview is not over. So he's still kind of like the guy's kind of like stalling for time. And then the dad walks out and like sees his son going in to apply for the same job. And I was like, this is a very weird, awkward scene, but also like interesting to see the inner life of these characters who, you know, up re- there with Tokyo Sonata for best <laughs> job interview, cinematic job interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you also get a scene of the mother, you know, at her job being, you know, a nurse and comforting this priest who works at the school who like has like some really like deep seated issues um, about I think it's his son that died or his daughter. I can't remember. It's I think he's lost a child though, and there's that like some weird. real deep sadness. I, I I thought it was they never touch on it again. Kind of touching, yeah. It, it's it's not touched on a lot, but I think it's important to show that like this person actually does have this pretty deep well of empathy, and it's weird the way that it gets distributed across mm-hmm. her life because she does kind of take out some of that frustration on her daughter because she wants her to succeed so much, and so I, I think that that web of emotions crossing all of the characters works really well in this and yeah it's it's a it's a very good movie about being a teenager and being kind of a shithead and then like realizing like oh, i was kind of a shithead as a teenager <laughs> i like uh timothy chalamet reading howard zinn yeah talking about how he doesn't <laughs> yeah, care yeah. about money oh, yes <laughs> <the best. laughs> yeah. i also really very love the scene with uh lucas again <laughs> lucas hedges um, ledges. I was in several movie this several movies this year, but yeah, uh, yeah of, I really like him as Danny in this movie too. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, and I kind of wish that it ended there because I don't totally get the actual ending itself. But mm-hmm. um, when she's at Barnard and she's drunk, oh. and um, the guy's like, "So what's your name?" and she goes, "Christine." And it's like kind of a a little bit a little bit of a hokey moment of being like uh, she's learned some of her lessons and then he's like where are you from she's like Sacramento and he's like where and she goes San Francisco and I'm like but not totally learned the lesson <laughs> <laughs> still yeah. gonna put on a little bit of a phony air and I was like that's that's a perfect moment I, I recognize that feeling whatsoever and it's like <laughs> I've learned a third of the lesson that I was supposed to learn this movie. Yeah. To me, that's a decent place to get to with a character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, this came up when I was listening to the F This Movie podcast when Lady Bird came up, but the scene with Lucas Hedges and her, when she's like, you can touch my breast if you want, and he's like, no, I respect you too much. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that's, that's, also good that's, that's dark. That was definitely, like, me at some point, in, like, <laughs> as a teenager, of being like, oh, sex you know, I respect you too much for that. <laughs> the degrading act. Yeah, and it's it's delivered so well that I didn't even like you know assume that. Yeah. He was his character was going where he was going. <coughs> right. Yeah, so. and yeah, I I didn't pick up on on that aspect of him either. Like it's it's and I don't think you're meant to. I think it's a good reversal. Oh, it's well where, played. Yeah, you you don't see it coming, and then it's like. Oh right! All the signs were there. How did I not? <laughs> just like Lady you, you think it's it just like normal. yeah. You think he's just like some virtuous like you know he's like a Jesus kid. I get it. Mm-hmm. And I was like I've definitely been that person at some point in my life. <laughs> Pretty good editing. So is it? It's me now, yeah. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Alrighty. My number four is uh, Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled. Whoa. Nice. Nice. I didn't see that coming. Another twist. Uh, Yep. Only me. Uh, I would say right up there with Staying Vertical, this was one of the funniest movies of the year for (laughs) me. (laughs) Which is a weird feeling. My funniest movie of the year is my number four. Nice. But... uh, (laughs) Uh, I think that, you know, um, Farrell plays it super great, and the weird tension between Kidman and him is very, very funny. The part early on when she's, like, washing his unconscious body, I was like, whoa, this is this is real sexy. This is... <laughs> <laughs> Your and then, bow tie uh, spin around. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, like, I had a real... I think that Coppola rides, like, a pretty interesting line in the sense that like i mean obviously this is only anecdotal but like the people that i've talked to about the movie like almost universally the guys that i've talked to are like wow colin farrell like what a creep he's really like a piece of shit in that movie like and then like all of... deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, most of the women that i've talked to are like wow those women are really and i think that uh <laughs> You know, there's there's a way in which, like, everyone in the movie is, like, kind of awful. So, like, you know, the it's uh, depending on your sort of, like, uh, cultural, uh, what's it, like, like, standing and, like, what you, like, identify with and, like, see maybe about yourself and don't like. You could be like, oh, I... Hmm. I don't, I don't like that person. <laughs> I don't like what they're doing. I don't like what they're about. But uh, so I think that that's like a pretty, pretty smart, uh, like tough to navigate thing where you're creating like um, a s- strange sort of uh, making everyone kind of identifiable in a way that's both like you can read them sympathetically or you can read them like. They're really <laughs> terrible people, and I think that in general they're all pretty bad. But uh, and then one of the fun things that uh, like was a moment that I didn't realize like put together as I was watching it, but once I did like really made me laugh uh, is uh, the part in which when he gets um, uh, caught and and pushed down the stairs that leads to the whole third act or whatever. Like there's a moment when he comes out and he's like talk to like basically all of the women earlier at the dinner scene and then the reason that he goes to uh Elle Fanning's room is just because he doesn't have to go up or downstairs <laughs> it's just a matter of convenience. <laughs> it's like well I have these crutches and people hear me stomping around if I go upstairs or downstairs but there is a woman right across from me. I guess that's where I'm going. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Apt metaphor for <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that's a good point, too. Yeah. It's very subtle, like, because there's just, like, a moment where he, like, comes out, and it's just him alone, and he kind of looks around, and then the wow. next scene is, like, him in the room with her. <laughs> uh, good movie. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. A, a movie that I like a lot as well and sort of the controversy around this movie is something that i very strongly disagree with which is that the removal of the black character from the original story was a misstep on sofia coppola's part 
um, to bring back two things that I mentioned, one on a previous podcast when I said a movie does a good job of talking about the limitations of white feminism. This is the one. Mm-hmm. This is a movie where Big reveal. everyone <laughs> is extremely concerned about how the dynamics of introducing a man into a woman environment makes them all very internal about like their emotions while the country is literally falling apart <laughs> just outside their door. <laughs> and they are not really that concerned with that. And right. uh, again, to um, mention Angelica Bastian again, who I really love, wrote my favorite review. Uh, I've read so far of a movie this year for The Beguiled. There's the scene where Elle Fanning and someone else are very disgruntedly hoeing the garden and if you think about it for even more than a second you're like oh that would have been a slave job if their slaves hadn't left and like this this movie really gets it like i think uh you know people who are marginalized in one aspect will put a lot of focus on our marginalization while totally ignoring <laughs> what's happening to anybody else and that's exactly what is happening with Elle Fanning's character throughout this whole movie it's like she's really angry <laughs> that this thing that she used to rely on has been taken away from her and she feels like she's being treated unfairly both by uh, the the older women and also by the fact that she doesn't have any slaves that she can take advantage of anymore <laughs> And I think that's a really cool note that Sofia Coppola achieves through uh, addition by subtraction. Mm-hmm. And I think that she, I I really like as opposed to another movie that was on uh, my best of, the, of list when she was confronted about it uh, in interviews. She handed herself with very good composure and said smart things as opposed to Annie Lily Amarpour who uh, really oh stuck her foot in her mouth in yeah. a really bad way. Uh, that was yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Way to go, Sophia Coppola. Yep. You're the wokest. You're my woke bay. <laughs> Give out woke bay awards at the end of it. The woke bay of my heart. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, my my number four movie um, is another Netflix documentary. Actually, um, it's uh, it's Yancey Casting Ford's Day. Strong Island, oh. ah, which is uh, a pretty big bummer of a movie. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but I guess what's what. And, and it's like incredibly an intimate like kind of story. Yancey Ford uh, tells the story of how her brother was shot to death uh, by this uh, guy, like this car mechanic, uh, 19 year old white guy, and uh, got away with it. Um, and the movie is less like a, I don't know, like a journalistic sort of like look into like all the what were the facts and like what really happened but is much more interested in uh, what that thing did what that murder did to uh, himself to Yancey himself to his family to uh, his uh, uh, you know how uh, that one murder is always more than just 
the killing of or taking away of one person, but it's actually always uh, comes with with it is the destruction of the rest of the family, um, with the things that it does to all the friends around him, and uh, a thing that I guess what makes it pretty special movie is Yancy's refusal to even depict the killer in any way. She doesn't interview him, or she doesn't even look for it, or she's like, she makes it a point that uh, this guy uh, is like any other white guy. Like, the, he, he might be the guy who's like handing her her ticket, or standing in line at the, somewhere uh, in front of her, or, or wherever he is. Like, these people have been made three-dimensional for way too long, and... Uh, this movie is exactly the thing that I guess what I was talking about when I was talking about Detroit's uh, where, where Detroit kind of ends is where this movie sort of begins. It is how uh, the people that are most affected by uh, the judicial system's failings um, actually, you know, how they process this, how they go on with it, how they uh, deal or or don't deal with 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 what happens to them and. Uh, you know, all of this is, you know, the, the documentary took Yancey apparently like 10 years to make. So it's very Hello. obviously very painful. What really holds everything together is actually uh, Yancey himself, who's often shown to be sitting directly in front of the camera, speaking directly in front of the camera as he tries to sort of, uh, yeah, explain to himself what he's feeling about everything and uh, how he's dealing with all these different aspects. He's shown to be calling the detectives that worked on the case, the district attorney, like all of that, and then how he then calls uh, his uh, his girlfriend and like all these other things that he kind of goes through while uh, researching uh, all this. And uh, it really wouldn't work if Yancey wasn't an extremely strong screen presence. And... Uh, like it's very worth watching just for that. Like I've seldom seen a person uh, go through what Yancey's going through on on screen in the way that he that he does. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it's uh, very affecting, very good. So yeah, go check that out. Sounds good. I'm Drop sad I missed ball. it. Yeah. I hadn't even heard of this one actually, or maybe I didn't yeah. forgot. But I heard good things about it the last it. minute, like the last couple weeks mm -hmm. of 2017. It was on my radar. Too little, too late. Shame. Hmm. Well, there's always 2018. Right. It's true. Doesn't have to be the end. This year I'll get them all in. <laughs> this year's over. Sorry. <laughs> no more movies. All right, my number four movie is Yorgos Lanthimos, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. tabled, but I oh, mean, okay. it's tabled too now. It's my number four. <laughs> I'll let you start <laughs> as etiquette dictates. But no, no one else is tabling it, right? No. Uh-uh. Okay. Nope. Killing of a Sacred Deer, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, is... The funniest movie of the year, in my opinion. You know what? I don't disagree with that. Seems about right. And um, I had a slightly different but somewhat similar experience to Love and Friendship of last year, where for the first 20 minutes, I was the only one laughing, <laughs> and then eventually other people cut on. But right from the very beginning, there's a long shot of Colin Farrell 
and the other doctor walking down a hallway having a very boring discussion about watches while this super intense music (laughs) (laughs) this long still Kubrickian dolly shot of like this cold (laughs) hospital and I just started laughing and I really sort of didn't stop that much after that um I like this movie almost as like kind of a funny, I don't think it's intentional, but response to some of the criticism of the lobster as being like apolitical kind of almost feel like for it a is. director coming out of Greece. The same way. Um, he really doubles down on this being even more apolitical than that yeah. one. He's like, you thought that that film was too small? I'm going to make this one even smaller. <laughs> it's about just this one shitty dude <laughs> and his, his shitty family. In fact, I, I saw this one with Ethan too, and afterwards he was like, what did it mean? And I was like, mm. <laughs> I was like, it means that men are, are crappy and it means that suburban families choose their comfort over other people's all the time. And it means that, you know, people who are upset about things that happen to them regardless of whether or not they're justified in being upset will sometimes really step over the line and <laughs> returning the favor <laughs> so yeah um i liked it a lot i think i actually had a slightly different take um i think while it is a smaller movie and um maybe just as a political i think there is this broader notion at play here of somebody who can't recognize the ramifications of their actions like if they're at a remove or because his job sort of justifies the potential of killing someone even though it was he was inebriated and did it to himself um (laughs) he still can't quite make the leap that he should be at fault for this and so and in real life of course uh this happens all the time and you know rich white doctor types uh, the bourgeoisie are always getting away with this shit and so they insert this kind of like mystical like fairy tale character in martin <laughs> who is able to exact some really like outsized cosmic vengeance upon his family <laughs> and like make him aware of i mean i love the scene when he's tied up and he bites his arm and bites him and he makes him aware of metaphor <laughs> the notion of metaphor <laughs> trying to expand his mind he thinks he's so smart because he's a doctor and he's got it all figured out and has this very pristine family and he introduces the the possibility of variables to it and the possibility of like thinking abstractly and moving beyond the confines of uh, his social status to realize like oh like i'm just a shitty guy like all this stuff that's protecting me these boring watches they represent nothing it's it's all meaningless (laughs) (laughs) and like real people are here and on the line and trying to live and he can't make that connection i don't think we're that different so i'll just i'll just say that i think the way in which this film is political and that it very accurately depicts mm-hmm. a kind of human dynamics yeah. that if you want to take the next step yeah. and be like, how do these human dynamics apply to a wider landscape? You can, which is, um, I think, a more interesting film and why a lot of the films you mentioned on the other podcast fail mm. is because they want to try to yeah. assess everything. And this one is just sort of about, like, I guess, guilt yeah um, and whether or not you should feel guilty mm. and yeah um which i think dog tooth <laughs> does well as well and while i still like mm-hmm. the lobster i think i had my my appreciation for it dropped off last year because i think that's the one thing it doesn't do well i think when you try and take that 
central metaphor and if you do try and expand that one out um the dimensions of it start looking a little iffy it, it's a little horseshoe theory -y. um <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> but i think this and dog tooth are really good about having movies that are stories that can be self-sustained and have kind of like overt moral lessons but could be expanded out <laughs> and connect into the current time pretty easily uh it's, it's a cool move i don't want this to devolve too much into like just listing things sure. that you liked in the movie but the dual scenes in which like first um i think it's first colin farrell's character is like surgeon's never responsible yes. for someone dying it's the anesthesiologist and then he explains yeah. it and then later nicole kidman meets with the anesthesiologist it's like it's never the anesthesiologist's fault it's always the surgeon's <laughs> my uncle's an anesthesiologist it's... and he enjoyed that joke <laughs> it's good anesthesiologist it's a perfect <laughs> setup and uh the other thing that I'll say is that there's been a funny trend recently on on the lines of taking uh, Simpsons yeah. frames and then putting like other stuff <laughs> over it. And uh, Ethan, sometime after we saw this movie, sent me a picture of Homer in the office with um, Principal Flanders with Bart sitting in a chair behind him being like, which one of my students, which children is the best student? <laughs> <laughs> and then I imagine the whole movie, except for which just you know, cartoon like just the entire movie, except for Simpsons instead. Yeah. And it made me laugh really hard with Millhouse as um, as, Martin. Uh, Martin. Yeah, yeah, Martin, and <laughs> that's Principal Skinner, not Flanders. Yeah, Principal. Yeah, Sk Skinner. Uh, but, I love yeah, that moment. I, uh... the that move. That part's so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Help me decide which of my children I should kill. And then the, his eventual decision is extremely funny. I laughed so hard <laughs> yes. at him, spinning around, shuffling his feet. Yeah. It's like, this is the worst idea. <laughs> the dumbest possible Yeah, he looks so ridiculous doing it, too. Oh, and um, narratively, I also like the slow build to finding out that Nicole Kidman is just as bad as yeah. him, where it's like, it seems like she might be your sort of uh, point of moral entry mm -hmm. for the film. Be like, okay, this is the person who's trying to get things done and is like caring about things. And then they're in bed and she's like, maybe we should kill the youngest one. He hasn't <laughs> that much of life. <laughs> and then they do. We can always make a new young one. <laughs> yeah. They're so practical. <laughs> Just about filling the right uh, slots uh, in the family. <laughs> right. Man. Can't wait to watch this movie now. It's also a non sequitur, but I can't uh, stress enough how much I love when she's singing Ellie Goulding to oh, Mark. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great moment. A... <laughs> <laughs> Not a good use of music in this movie. What's that? <laughs> I said there's a lot of good use of music in this movie. Yeah, that's I true. like how the score is used. Yeah, for oh, yeah, it's very I fun. like her. I, I like her singing. I like all of the song choices. All right. Um, my number four movie, keeping that mainstream train running, uh, is The Florida Project. Tabled. By Sean oh, Baker. Tabled. Whoa. Oh, okay. All right. Whoa. All right. Wow. I did not expect that. All right. Got um, tabled hard. Yeah. <laughs> Dual table in. Ooh. Watch out. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right my number three is the aforementioned uh, Ex Libris, oh. directed by Frederick Wiseman. All right. 
No more tabling for that one. Just no. missed my ten. Just you and me, Basil, baby. Yeah. I think it's at number twelve <laughs> you for and me. me, buddy. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Not watched it yet. Yeah. Uh, Ruben wrote a really good thing about it, and it's on uh, LewisCannons.net. Um, it's a movie that uh, I feel similarly to in Jackson Heights about in the sense that, I don't know, it, uh, it's very intellectually dense and very smart, and I like that about it, but more than that, what I like about it is just really being in love with people when I watch it. I'm like, mm. man, it's really cool that there's all these people out here, and they all have lives, and they're different than mine, and I'll never meet those people, but there they all are, out in the society. <laughs> It's really hard for me to uh, grasp that sometimes because I'm just like riding on the bus and I'm like, how is it that every single one of these people is going to go home and like have a whole thing where mm. it's like going? <laughs> as soon as I stop seeing them, they're going to like <laughs> make dinner and they have a favorite TV show and, you know, <laughs> that's, that's boggling. Yeah. And the whole world's like that. And so, uh when I watch Frederick Wiseman's movies like this, uh, it's very plaintive, but it's, it makes me feel a lot of that. So I'm uh, always really, really just kind of lost in them, mm -hmm. especially as more the most recent ones. Like this movie definitely didn't feel short, but it also, you know, felt like I could just keep watching it and I'd be really happy to do so, especially if I were in more comfortable chairs. <laughs> the Witzel's not really... Uh... Uh, I saw this in a really bad theater. So yes. I, uh, no that was actually yeah. my what kept it out of my 10, what keeps me from almost like, it almost sounds crazy, but I want more. It almost feels incomplete. Like, a, <laughs> like it's such a sprawling, <laughs> huge system, and like I, I needed a little more from it. It could have been like five hours. Um, I don't yeah. know if I would have gotten around to it in that case, though, with the other trade-off, <laughs> so I'm not sure. <laughs> But I love it. Yeah, it's Libris Part 2. Yeah. The New York Public Library Part 2. <laughs> it's only ever made one sequel. Yes. Could be the chance. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many just like strange and affecting scenes like the underground when they're like recording audio books and stuff like that. And I was like, well, it's like somebody's whole job is just reading books out loud for a living. And there he is. And then uh, the jobs. various book clubs. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, and then um, the like the book club scene where they're all discussing love in the time of cholera, and they all just have like weird, interesting takes on this book. And I was like, this is this is fun. I was obviously already very into the movie at that point, but like one of the ways in which I know that I was very into it is during that scene, someone said something I disagreed with, and I was like, hey! <laughs> I was like, that's not a response I would have unless I was like pretty invested at that point. Right. <laughs> Jump into their book club. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. Um, Ruben, take you, it away. Are Wait. you done talking? Right yeah, there. yeah, Ruben gets to All talk. right, yeah. You <laughs> got to talk. I like this movie, too. It's one of three movies on my top five that, like, Basil um, made me feel very optimistic about things, even if this movie and another one of the movies that makes me feel optimistic are sort of 
on their face kind of depressing. I think they offer an avenue for mm. viable, I don't know if solutions is the right word, but there's a, I've been moving away from humanism, which was definitely sort of like a central tenet of movies that I liked, mm-hmm. in like my mid-twenties, and this movie and some other movies this year sort of helped me reclaim that element of like, like Basil said, people can be pretty cool. Like, yeah. there's some kind of like, yeah. there's a lot of speakers in this movie, and like, some of them I'm... <laughs> I think maybe are a little too full of themselves. The very first one, like perhaps. Elvis Costello and Richard Dawkins. <laughs> um, but like, there's a nice like comparison along all of these lines. It's like, yeah, I don't like Richard Dawkins. Or Elvis Costello thinks that he's a lot more punk than he actually is. But <laughs> true, this guy who's in like a basement of one of the like 170 libraries who's talking about like how Jewish delis defined, like, an entire culture oh, to, like, 15 people. That's quite the moment. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like, I can get I can get really mad that there's, like, a thousand people to see Elvis Costello, or I can be really happy that, you know, this guy in a basement is talking about something that nobody cares about. <laughs> but <laughs> The sexual subliminals cool. of, like, sandwiches and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, I love that library. It's a nice library. What a great institution. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, when I went and saw it, I, I got to sit next to Frederick Wiseman the whole time, which was very exciting. <laughs> it was a joy. Somebody's like, oh, that seat's for Fred. And then Frederick Wiseman came and sat down. It was amazing. <laughs> but then it was uncomfortable because I was had to like chuckle a lot and be like, oh, ha, ha. hmm, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, was, it was a performative screen. Performative viewing. Uh, like, oh, oh, very good. Very good, Mr. Oh, Wiseman. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> very good. Like, uh, and then some weird. Yeah. Like, you probably would have sent me away because I would have been like, can we hold hands? Uh, <laughs> just just constantly turning to like, I picked up on that. Too, uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> nice shot. <laughs> I see what you did there, and I like it. Good, good one, Freddie. Just like elbowing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's disappointing. People tried to stir up some controversy because I guess a lot of the uh, library's print library got moved to like Princeton or something like that, and they're trying to digitize everything. So they were mad he didn't address it. It's like, I don't know. Leave poor Frederick Wiseman alone. Seriously. <laughs> it's like an optimistic look at the library. <laughs> it's sort of mentioned. There's arguments among the yeah. you know, heads, heads of the library about digital offerings. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. That was... Digital offerings are better in theory. I like print plenty, but like digital offerings, uh, you know, they have a broader broader reach. Yeah, yeah. that's their argument. Yeah. <laughs> This lady. It's in the uh, lady was wrong. <laughs> was it, uh, yeah, I was gonna say I forgot to mention it before, but that is one of the things that I uh, sort of like about the movie, and I also like about a movie that will get brought up later. But that uh, the depiction of the uh, administrative guy, like at first he comes off sort of crass, where he's like, you know, this—that's the whole point of the library. It's a meeting between public and private and et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, like the, the necessity of like these weird fundraisers and all this like strange gala stuff. And I was like, oh, 
I, this guy seems like he sucks. But then, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, there are other moments where, you know, they're talking about the, like, like some rich lady complaining about a homeless person, uh, like, <laughs> coming into the library and how she feels mm -hmm. like, and then, you know, he's very sympathetic of, to this idea of, like, okay, like, we need to, we can't just have boundaries where it's like, oh, we don't like, you're rich and you don't like that these poor people are around you, so we'll keep them out for your sake. <laughs> like, we do need to have, like, the library become a, uh, you know, it, it is a space where sometimes people will encounter things that they don't in their everyday life, and that makes them uncomfortable, and that's one of the things that's valuable. Yeah. And I was like, he oh, did. this... Yeah, he does a very nice delineation. He's like, there's other government institutions that can hopefully provide these people homes because the library is not a home, but the library is still for the homeless. They're, they they can use our computers, Aww. they can use our books. So that's great. I'm like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. how government institutions are hopefully supposed to work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, and I think that, you know, it is it ends up being very sympathetic portrait of him. And that also, you know, like he is being practical, uh, if not exactly like, um, you know, radical, like that the library does exist partly because of private money. And I bet he wishes just as I do that that wasn't the case. It'd be a lot better <laughs> if libraries didn't also have to throw like fancy dinner parties for rich people to get them to give them money. Like I'd be cool with them not doing that. But, uh, you know, Wiseman makes his objections pretty clear too. like the dinner party mostly focuses on a bunch of people tying chairs and tucking them under to like <laughs> look really nice and I was like what a waste of <laughs> what a, a waste of, of resources a lot of shots of um, all the people who do stuff and not as much shots of the people who take advantage of that stuff I guess right a lot of people reshelving books, not very many people taking books off of shelves. Mm. A lot of people setting up plates, not a lot of pe shots of people eating. Mm. Reminder of the work that goes into those things. Yeah, not a, always very not, good about no, being conscientious about that sort of thing. It's nice. Yeah, no congratulatory shots of, oh, thanks for that million dollars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Endorsing a check. Welcome to the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, my yeah. number three is it? Uh, mm -hmm. Is Bertrand Bonello's Nocturama? Um, oh, nice. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, watch this over the holidays with my brother. I guess we. Uh, hey, hey. Table, oh. Someone tabled it? Said it's my number three. Or no, it's not my number three. All right. Yeah, I tabled it. All right. Then yeah, go right ahead, we'll my friend. Soon. Soon enough. My number three is actually Good Time, which I think is about to get tabled. Yeah, I'll table, table that. Yeah. Based on the tabling Boom. math. <laughs> Worth it. It's the tabling continues. <laughs> Faces Places, directed by Agnes Varda and yeah. Aha! Uh -huh. If I was Interesting. going by Mitchell's wow. rules, this would be my number one of the year. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. Good to note. <laughs> what does that mean for these top? Wow. Patrick? Okay. Um, well, my number three is Raw. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. 
and uh, <laughs> we can finally get around to Ruben talking about this one. Um, what I like about this movie is that um, it actually is going to form kind of a little double feature with my number two also in that it explores the idea that a person caught up in a really like brutal system, it's often hard to tell if they are just actually a sociopath or <laughs> if the system created that sociopathy through, I don't know, like opportunism. Um, but I, I had kind of a weird, unique experience with this movie in that the lead actress looks a lot like one of my roommates and, um, uh, a, a, a person that, and then I moved out. <laughs> uh, well, no, um, a, a person that, though I feel like is very similar to me in that they moved from a pretty like conservative small town into a big city in order to like pursue artistic um, endeavors and so I I sort of like immediately I don't know like projected into the the lead actress and where I was like okay like I know exactly who this character is and I kind of like feel this connection with them and when all the stuff starts happening it felt very visceral to me in a way that I kind of associated with the idea of sort of discovering these I don't know like really deep dark secrets about yourself and the way that that would have an effect on you like what your reaction to that would be um, so not necessarily focusing on the system itself because at that point you don't really understand that the system is doing these things to you but you understand that stuff is happening and you don't know exactly where it's coming from and I think the ending of this movie also makes that even more unclear as to where <laughs> that deep darkness is coming from in this character because, you know, she she gets the piece of information that, like, it's not just her and her sister who are in this place. Like, also her mother is the same way. And it's like, are they just monsters or it's capitalism were, were they created <laughs> yeah were they forced to be monsters by the system that <laughs> that pushed them into it and i think that last shot of the dad with all the like chunks bitten out of him was like one of the coolest horror movie images i've ever seen in my life and like i didn't i really didn't expect it to to be that kind of like oh shit ending but when it did i was like whoa like that's fucking dark and <laughs> This movie is like, I, I wrote something in my book about it, sort of, uh, wait, what did, what did I say? Sorry, let me pull up the page up. Um, I said, it's a horror film that stalks toward its audience head on and dares them to blink. <laughs> and it was like, that's that's pretty much it. It's, it's like real in your face. Cool. Um, so something that I mentioned on the honorable dishonorable mentions is that I was surprised by a lot of things this year. And I kind of lost the thread of that a little bit um, in the other podcasts, or at least I didn't draw specific attention to it. But I want to draw attention to something about this, which is that um, a shorthand complaint that I often use when talking about films is, oh, they didn't give enough time to that character or that plot line to develop it. Like it needed more screen time in order to work. Um, and Raw kind of makes that complaint look really stupid because <laughs> it establishes characters <coughs> extraordinarily quickly. Like the very first scene of the movie is the mom with her bare feet up on 
the glove compartment box and the mic hmm and then the next scene is her yelling it like a minimum wage worker for accidentally putting meat in her daughter's meal and i'm like okay i pretty much know who this person is i'll see like little bits of edges and stuff like that and then like there are lots of scenes like that like the dad offering his daughter a cigarette i'm like i know what's going on here i know these people i know these characters like really really well like really quickly and i'm like you know kind of um you know, I talked about this, I think, with certain women and, like, Kristen Stewart's appearance uh, in that movie, being like, I know this character really quickly. Why don't other directors do this? Right. <laughs> Why am I always like, oh, they needed to spend 30 minutes so I could understand this character? And it's like, no, they don't. They just need to be better at their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Write better movies. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think there are a lot of cool thematic things and that, you know, as I sort of hinted at, um, I think that sort of, there are some thematic thing that's messy about this that don't totally work for me, but the thing that definitely does work for me is the idea that under capitalism, you're always consuming and everyone draws an arbitrary line about where it's moral and where it's immoral. (laughs) (laughs) There's no ethical consumption, so... Why not jump in front of cars and cause car accidents and eat people? Yeah. <laughs> Seems sound. It's, uh, you know, not actually as significantly worse as you think it yeah. is to <laughs> the other things that you're probably already doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and at least you're participating in direct action yep. in that situation, as opposed to walking down the fluorescent lights of a grocery store and, you know, forgetting about all the people and animals that suffered (laughs) (laughs) to deliver that food to your door. So, yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to note, uh, almost made me throw up once. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say there were, there were a couple of moments where I was just like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this. Um, I mean the, the raw chicken part, but also the part where she like starts getting the rash all over her body. I was like, Oh, that's so uncomfortable. Like it's the raw chicken part, the part the... where she's pulling stuff out of her. Oh, mm-hmm. oh no, the hair part. Yeah, that one is the oh, worst part. Yeah, yeah. That, is gross <laughs> too. that that to me is number yep. one, and number two is when they cover them in paint and force them to kiss. I'm like, I already find kissing gross. <laughs> 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 You're gonna add this to the equation. Get out of here. Soupy yeah, pink is that, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that Ella Rumpf's. Uh reaction to seeing her sister eating her finger was very funny too mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just like looking at her like you're into this too like i was like whoa <laughs> that's a crazy thing for a person to be like looking at someone like after they get the just name destroyed. of the dog <laughs> just poor spooky finger. or whatever <laughs> oh spooky ate my finger <laughs> let's kill that dog <laughs> let's kill the dog yeah i forgot about the dog oh my god <laughs> oh jesus one reason why this movie should count as 2016 oh. hashtag year of the dead dog. Oh, <laughs> That's true. That's right. Oh, oh no. What a brutal year. Poor dog. <laughs> Left and right. Yep. Good old wiener dog. Oh. Really fun. <laughs> Poor wiener dog. We're running out for the Had wiener a dog. Yeah. Life. All right. And a lobster. Real Balthazar mm-hmm. figure. Yeah. True. <laughs> All right. And uh, the, in the Valley of Violence, mm. all those dead dogs. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if you count graduation as last year, did Doug in that one too. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, all right, so it's on to yeah. the knees, yes. Uh, uh-huh. 
I have I have a certain kind of feeling about this, but we'll see. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> my number two is The Florida Project, uh, by Sean Baker. Fabled. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That was what I expected. Interesting. <laughs> Well, my number two is out. is good time, so that will get tabled. Tabled, yeah. Someone. Oh <laughs> boy, it's all becoming clear. <laughs> my number one's the only one that's not getting tabled. Oh. <laughs> well, your number two won't either. I I mean, of the number ones. Oh, I see. Yeah, Everyone yeah. else's number one, I think, has been Damn tabled. <laughs> oh, <of course. laughs> oh man, you think that. But mm-hmm. mathematically. Oh least... wait, no, no, I know what Patrick's number one is. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Ooh. My number two, the previously tabled Bertrand Bonello's Nocturama, aka uh, Paris nice. is happening. <laughs> Just, uh, oh, I like that. I like alternative the alternative title. The other around. title better. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great title, but that's fine. Aka, I whip my hair back. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful performance. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I I didn't know much about Benella going in. I had heard some rocky stuff, but uh, this is entirely uh, unique and exciting. It's uh, a major artist kind of coming out on the international stage in a big way. Uh, I think um, kind of uh, my my aforementioned list of movies uh, that we're trying to address our current issues head on and failing. I think this goes in not the opposite direction, but a preferable direction Mm. at least, where it invents a narrative. None of this is based in the real world, but it feels very real. It's a story that kind of comes from the domino effect of our current issues and current tensions in the world. Um, The kind of uh, spooky line that gets uttered in the middle of it uh, about um, this was always going to happen. Um, that's sort of what this movie is doing. It's about the inevitability of just kind of this social collapse where uh, the, our current generation has all this, you know, pent up anger and resentment for the institutions and the powers that be that have kind of kept everyone oppressed and kept us in the system in this downward spiral. Um, but they have like no real clear means of actually addressing it because they're so ensnared in the system and so won over by the spoils of living in a capitalist system. Um, and as such, their, their, their terrorist attack that they execute, um, the ideology is fuzzy and never explained. They attack financial institutions and the like, and um, uh, symbols, the Joan of Arc statue in France, like symbols of uh, French history that have been kind of distorted, which kind of ties into the death of Louis XIV as well. There's some good companion pieces on yeah. my list. Um, but, uh, but then inevitably end up in a department store um, enacting kind of a parody but also something that they actually genuine want of uh this kind of bourgeois lifestyle uh dressing up in nice clothes and jewelry dancing to like pop music and the like um until they ultimately uh just uh their their inertia i mean it was meant as a hideout but what what was representative of their inertia ends up delivering them to their death by the hands of the state um it's a it's a very bleak movie um but as as a as a metaphor for the the current uh, you know uh, all this energy and anger uh, and bitterness that is building up and has nowhere to go, it kind of feels like 
the perfect representation of that outlet um, and a very sort of pessimistic look at uh, how that could all unfurl. Uh, very exciting movie and quite the soundtrack. Could, could be my soundtrack of the year if I wasn't, uh, you know, splitting things up the way I am. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, on my short list. For me as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good one. It's a lot. Definitely mm-hmm. good to hear whip my hair back and forth again. Mm-hmm. And don't. And like. it just barely <laughs> missed my list. It's a, yeah, it's, it's number like twelve number. on oh, my yeah. list. Yeah. Reverse yeah. sleep rest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I guess I was probably the. What uh, are yes. you gonna say something? Yeah. Um, Mitchell already covered a lot of uh, what I liked about this. Uh, the sort of uh, immediate bleakness that. Uh, this movie kind of like really puts you into right from the beginning where nothing is explained and it's almost like a weird little sci-fi movie in the beginning uh, a sci-fi in the present uh, tense so to speak when they're all in the mm-hmm. on this train traveling on a train together I always fucking love things filmed on trains and it like just mm-hmm. that already put me in a really good mood for this I liked how uh, the uh, I guess on the one hand, what they like, why they're doing what they're doing is sort of ambiguous. But I don't think uh, the movie itself is like morally ambiguous, which is really important, right? So um, the fact that they get shot down uh, at the very end is a very meaningful part of this movie. The fact that they, after blowing up all the things that they blew up, are gathered in this mall and start affecting, so to speak, so, like the the things that maybe their parents do or like they the people on commercials do or whatever because like capitalism tells you to live your life according to like extremely out like outlandish and fake things um but like them actually living out those fantasies in that mall uh is a lot of fun to watch and really depressing at the same time so uh there's a lot of movie packed into this uh the two different parts and like everything um, just really, really worked for me. A really, really visceral level. So, great movie. Yeah. Yeah. This movie was on my top ten for most of the year, and I think part of the reason that it fell off was just the time it had been since I saw it. I was like, well, I could. This could easily be my number ten, but I don't know what I would say about it. <laughs> so I'm yeah. glad that other people Fair enough. came with some smart stuff. <laughs> um. Most of what I'm going to say about liking this movie will come up during the awards section. But for now, I will say, um, why has no review that I've read about this movie mentioned Dawn of the Dead? Yeah, exactly. This is Dawn of the (laughs) Dead for the 2010s. That's a good point. With Night Night of the Living Dead ending. Right. Oh, man. (laughs) It's a very very Romero for millennials type of thing. I love it. That's was great. talking about that with my brother when I was watching it, and that's uh, a very good point. Yeah, but no yeah. one has mentioned this. No. It feels very clear. Mm-hmm. It's not like an obscure <laughs> metaphor Film or yeah. <laughs> reference. Yeah, it's not buried at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I'd also shades of as well. That's also very. Oh, sorry. Shades. Shades of Assault of Precinct Thirteen as well. When I was watching it. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. But also, it's just very formally accomplished, um, especially, I mean, for the whole thing, but the first half when they're doing the plotting and setting up the attack uh, is very... Okay, let's not talk about okay, that. Okay, I'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks great. All right. Is it me? Mm-hmm. It is. I'm confused. It is, yes. Turn it is. Yeah. Well... Continuing in some trends that we've established on this podcast. This is a movie that was on last year's top ten. <laughs> My number two is Happy Hour, directed by Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Mm. Which we heard about last year from Basil. Right. Um, I want to talk about the theme, or one of the many themes in this movie. It's over five hours long. <laughs> so There's not just one theme. Talked about uh, earlier with other films how courtroom scenes are boring. Mm -hmm. This movie has the best courtroom scene I've maybe ever seen that made me so sad I started to cry (laughs) while I was watching it. Um, This woman who uh, is in a relationship that she does not like is petitioning for divorce from uh, the courts and ultimately her testimony boils down to it may not seem like it overtly, but my husband is killing me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and that's kind of one of the themes of Gone Girl, a movie I didn't like. But this movie manages to do that in 10 minutes, what that movie in two hours couldn't make me feel, which is mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, being sort of pushed into these relationships that were are a necessary part of... Uh, the way our society is currently constructed and then having it sort of just slowly destroy your inner personhood Um, there's a lot of other things that I could probably talk about this movie it has my favorite single cut of the year when they're at an aquarium and there's like a stingray or something going by the glass and then it cuts to a kite flying in the wind and I was like oh <laughs> don't see stuff like that that often mm. um, ah. but really all I wanted to talk about was that and how much that scene affected me there are a bunch of scenes that really affected me in this movie but also like Basil like about three hours into it or something like that there was an intermission and I was like no oh. <laughs> I want to keep let's keep watching I'm not at all bored by this five hour movie Ah. (laughs) pretty incredible pacing nice (laughs) it's not just five hours it's like closer to five and a half yeah it's like 520 Mm -hmm. (laughs) and when it finished I was like no could have kept watching that movie (laughs) no alright well uh, my number two and I don't know if it's gonna get tabled again but uh my number no. two is good time nope this is the nope. it's reached the peak good time. this is when we get to talk about it mm-hmm. all right um good time drowns the viewer in misery the title is ironic guys <laughs> what but, but not it's a... always a good time oh, oh it's always a good time uh, not in a dishonest or unearned way and not in an overwrought manipulative heartstrings type of way 
Each devastating blow dealt to the people surrounding Robert Pattinson's character is delivered with such deadpan viciousness that the moments almost achieve comedy via absurdity. It achieves a unique line blurring between something so horrible one must recoil and something so absurd one can only laugh, all while feeling searingly timely. Pattinson is a marvel of understated desperation. He gives off both the air of a man drowning and sheer ruthless sociopathy to the uh, to the point that the audience is never really sure which informs the other. He's both the victim and the perpetrator, like Alex DeLarge, but with no style, grace, or fancy Beethoven to underscore his crash and burn, and certainly no redemption. So, I mean, this movie is like, I like Ruben was saying, like, it's capitalism. <laughs> like, um, and again, like, you're not really sure if uh, Robert Pattinson's character, Connie, is like, just like he was just born a sociopath or if he has just been molded into a sociopath by the system that he's living in and it's i i think even in this case even more unclear like because he definitely is the villain of the piece <laughs> but at the same time he's like <laughs> the only character that we have to latch on to all the way through and so you're just like watching him hop from one horrible situation to another and just doing like literally anything he can to keep treading water and it's it's one of those like i don't know why this works for me so much more than most movies that i see do this where they keep kind of piling on but like the piling on here doesn't feel i don't know it doesn't feel like it's just the filmmakers trying to pile on like it all feels like a very um like logical extension from one scene to the next of like the reason that the problems keep becoming exacerbated are like very not realistic necessarily but honest reasons like why the problem is further exacerbated <laughs> and uh yeah i think that there are even like smaller things in the movie that um you know like i, I don't it, it's 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 been a while since i've seen this but like so much of happens in it and they're just like smaller points in the movie where you realize that like he his his um even though he's like this i don't know like ostensibly like a pretty down on his luck poor person he's still got this level of privilege that he exercises you know sort of at will to uh leverage power in his favor in these really horrible ways i'm thinking specifically of when he like switches out clothes with the security guard um because the security guard is black and you know the police like immediately arrest the black man and believe that he is the security guard without doing any sort of checking or anything like that and i was like that's like if that's not a searing indictment of where the system is at at this point like i don't know what is <laughs> yeah. yeah though i have to actually really say that was probably not my favorite part of the, <laughs> the movie actually i actually thought that uh that that part with the security guard is one of the parts of the movie where i was, I was like i'm not sure the rest of this movie kind of goes like super well with that because not, i'm not even sure that the baptists are even that uh 100% concerned with uh, the privilege aspect, actually. Um, but I, but I definitely agree with the other points that you've made, and I feel, I feel like, 
I, I really enjoyed this movie on like a, a purely uh, like thrilling like level. Like Pattinson's performance is fucking amazing. Every scene he's in is just like Jesus. He's like just about to crawl out of the screen or whatever. Like it's just incredibly uh, uh, just rabid. Um, and uh, uh, I thought that uh, a lot of the uh, like side characters, uh, like I don't remember his name, but the the junkie guy in his car who relates that anecdote <laughs> is fucking amazing. Um, that was hilarious. Uh, uh, the soundtrack is a, is um, is great. Has anyone seen? Yeah? Uh, what's that Brad Easton Ellis movie? With Rules Dawson? of Attraction. Yeah, no, I have not. There's it a scene where a guy is like, it's kind of cool, and he's like talking about this cool. T- I said this to Patrick like almost immediately yeah. afterwards, talking about his cool time in Amsterdam, and this is like the horror mirror version of Chelsea. <laughs> it's like there is nothing cool about yes, this. Yes, yes. Um, gets out of jail. Too hard on acid, but then you get out of jail. <laughs> you get your face smashed. Jeez. Yeah. God. It's like. You know, it's like the the in in a weird way, uh, like the yuppie, the the absolute opposite of the yuppie in peril movie. It's like the opposite of yuppie who's like barely in peril. <laughs> like the it's like what after hours like, but with a with a character who's like worse than any anybody that you would encounter in it, who's at the at the center of this movie. Um, and I really liked that. <laughs> I was like, I am absolutely down to spending time with this awful person who just is so fucking, like, won't stop at anything to, like, uh, you know, get what he wants. Um, and then also, like, help his brother, which is another weird part of this movie. One of the Safdie brothers playing, like, a, a clearly uh, a disabled person. Um, and uh, it's all sorts of wrong, but it's also wrong that they're wearing those masks when they are robbing the bank, right? And like, yeah, all of that yeah. is treated with the same sort of wrongness. And uh, I don't know, like, some reason, yeah. Did you, s- Did yeah. you hear the interview with uh, Benny where they talked no. about that? Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, originally they, they wanted to cast a person uh, like, have like a real disabled person actor playing the part and uh, they shot some of the movie with that but then they realized like the kind of movie that it is like it started to feel really Mm. gross to them and like exploitative like they were like manipulating this person into like a performance in a way that was like not possibly consensual so they're like uh we i don't think we can keep making yeah. this movie this yeah. way fair enough so yeah. uh mm-hmm. yeah, i mean fair fair mm-hmm. see that oh. yeah see but there's this... there's there's the the counterpoint to shape of water where it's like Guillermo <laughs> del Toro didn't care about that fish man's consent but these <laughs> were he's not a real fish man he's an actor similar. <laughs> yeah Doug i know Jones. i know but i know i know but but still it's yeah, you know, uh, it's a joke, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, in spite of how terrible that story is, it that that scene really made me want to do acid again. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> <It was> awesome. <laughs> That's the big takeaway from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
I was like, this this shouldn't make me want to do this anymore. But man, I'm getting the hankering. So then I did. And that was great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, uh... This is definitely the wiener dog of the year. Ooh. In that, like, even though it's only 25 on my list, it's all over my awards. <laughs> um, Robert Pattinson is number three for best male lead. Uh, the score is number three. The Safdie brothers are number five for uh, director. Um, it's a movie that I think is really well made. And after like the first five minutes, I was like, oh shit, that's the best movie of the year. Mm-hmm. But something over the whole runtime, I guess maybe it was a little one mm. note or something. It just didn't have my heart in the right way. I wasn't just like, I wasn't pumped about how devastated it, it made mm. me feel. But I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as high I up as it was that. for me, I, I felt sort of similarly. There is something like a little one note about it, even though I think it's also a byproduct of it being such like a laser-focused, tightly made movie. I think it's just kind of, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I thought it did a good job of sort of like smothering you in the way that it was shot a lot, too. <laughs> it's so much yes. close up. <laughs> And just I like, mean, from the very like... first shot, it's like, yeah. I don't want to be zooming in on this window, but okay. And then it's yeah. just like close-ups of the faces of the psychologist and yeah. uh, Benny. It's just like back and forth. And I'm like, ah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very <laughs> intense. Too personal. Very intense. Like it doesn't want you to breathe. Yeah. My favorite uh, like use of that is like during the tracking shots where it's like super steady. But like they're so close that their head is like bobbling in the frame, and it's like very <laughs> easy. And I was like, "Well, that's cool." And I, I can't believe no one's uh, really done this before. But it's yeah. pretty good luck. Yeah. I like the thing that Basil told us. It's sad that they just murdered that guy at the end by throwing him out of that window. <laughs> that actor's dead. Yep. That is real sad. <laughs> they <killed> him. <laughs> what it takes to make a great They're movie like... though <laughs> sorry poor buddy duress <laughs> movie <laughs> show must go on yeah even if you don't gotta break some eggs <laughs> low budget but alright yeah we did it yeah finishing it off with That's... good time this is this is a good time yeah <laughs> that's it for this podcast um tune in hopefully later this week to hear our sequel um which is our lucy's our best of 2017 awards we'll be running down the same awards that we did on the worst of except for the things we liked and then um ending it with our best pictures of the year and if you've been keeping notes at home you've figured out a couple of them (laughs) (laughs) Three of five, maybe. <laughs> yep. Yep. Who's to say? <laughs> and if you follow me and Patrick on Letterboxd, you know ours as well. <laughs> Do yep. some digging tonight. Right. One, uh, yep. one will be a surprise to me because I ha- I don't remember hmm. Patrick's. Surprises <laughs> are stupid anyway. Yeah. It was, one that, it was one that I reviewed earlier in the year early early contributor um anyways if you're enjoying the podcast please subscribe using your podcast listening application give us a five-star rating and review on the old itunes you can check out all of our content on loosecannons.net we've got videos writings and our previous podcasts in case you're like 
What did they think in 2014? I want to listen to a four-hour podcast from that year about what they liked. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> yeah, do it. It's a good one. Uh, but that's it for for this particular podcast. One more 2017 roundup left. The final countdown. Very exciting. <laughs> Bye. 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 I think we yeah. nailed it. We should, yeah, we should either use the final countdown or choose the time. Yeah, the podcast.